Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is the perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. conversation and we'll be talking about what the hell is going on with Arizona's elections. Uh, we have a number of folks uh, calling tonight, namely our featured guest tonight, which is Josh Barnett. He ran for Congress there and is also with working with Kerry Lake. We do have him on the line. So let's go ahead and bring him on. Thank you very much, Josh, uh, for coming to the show. How are you? I wish it could have been under uh, better circumstances, but I think we uh, got an idea at least in part of what, what happened there in Arizona. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing okay, considering I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone from 2020 all over again. Yeah, we have some major issues Yeah, you know, it, 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 that's what happens when you don't fix anything, right? Yeah. You would think they had two years to do it. Well, you know, we unfortunately, we had uh, Benedict Boyer, Senator Benedict Boyer that blocked all election integrity legislation. 
and nothing nothing got accomplished that's substantial. And and now we have 2022. Remember when everybody 2020 is like, you got to forget about 2020 and focus on 2022. Now they're going to tell us, you got to you got to get you know put 2022 behind you and focus on 2024. I'm I'm not I, I never put 2020 behind me. I'm not putting this election behind me. This needs corrected. And and fortunately, we just found out tonight that the case that I put in um, to the superior court was granted an evidentiary hearing on Friday morning. Oh, good. Yeah, certainly keep us, uh, you know, updated with that. Um, so what's been going on uh, so far since the election? Uh, we certainly appreciate an update of all what you guys all been doing and, and some updates on those. Well, you know, we're looking at, you know, right now, uh, Abe, Abe put a, um, a suit in that was dismissed saying that it's not certified yet. This is not, this is not, you know, um, we're not going to accept this hearing right now on a contesting election type of situation without certification of the state. But what, what my, um, and I know Carrie's team is waiting on certification as well before they can do anything to contest the election. But what we did is we asked, we asked for, we asked for an injunctive, injunctive relief. Um, and we feel it's the, you know, the proper remedy when, you know, public officials do not follow statutes and rules and procedure, you know, that, that's in accordance with, you know, with uh, Title 16 of the Arizona, Arizona Revised Statutes, as well as the, the rules from the 2019 Elections Manual. You know, they, they literally broke every single rule, a lot of statutes, and, and, and form is completely broken in this election. And, and to be honest with you, when form is broken, anything that precedes it is a nullity. That's a maxim of law that tells you this. Uh, you know, if you guys aren't aware of what a maxim of law are, it's uh, Charles Weissman. You can look him up. There's about 1,600 of them. And, and when you bring a maxim of law into the courtroom, we'll never, we'll never, you know, I guess, contemplate the validity of it. But they, they, the only thing they can contemplate is how it's applied to your case. So they stand as true. They're internationally recognized, uh, internationally recognized law. And, um, you know, that, that's one of them. And that, that clearly is what happened in this case, where form was broken in the election and anything that proceeds is a nullity. And that's, that's basically what we're asking for in a way. Um, you know, we have, we have the, um, you know, the, 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 like an incurable amount of uncertainty, you know, due to like the maladministration of Maricopa County. And, um, you know, like we, you know, I brought a complaint for a, dec- a declaratory judgment. That's basically what we asked for, and um, you know, we're asking that this happens before, you know, to prevent um, this chaotic election. And that word chaos was actually used by um, Supervisor Bill Gates uh, that the, the election day was chaos, and, and we're trying to prevent it from being canvassed and certified by Katie Hobbs, you know, which which would just cover it up with a presumption of certainty that it should receive, and, um, and it doesn't deserve it. You know, it, with, with my injunctive relief, it will allow me to, um, to have this fairly, you know, considered and, and, and prior to any, you know, presumption adhering to the election results that Katie Hobbs would, would have when she declared it certified, which she knows damn well it's not. She knows it's fraudulent. Yeah, it certainly sounds like you guys um, got your work out there, and even people, you know, both in and you know outside of Arizona are certainly taking uh, 
you know, a close look at this. Uh, we've uh, I've got some folks here from, you know, Watch the Vote USA, uh, as well as some of our panelists and a, a gentleman from Phoenix who's been looking at some numbers, uh, you know, that they want to discuss with you tonight as well. Uh, you know, you guys are working on a lot of things. Uh, from a lot of a lot of angles, your your end, and then you know we have people again who's, who's you know crunching some numbers. Uh, again, not only in in Arizona, I mean one is in Phoenix, but then you know you know others uh, work with you know for election integrity. Uh, so let me go ahead and bring in um, and Kelly. I mean, and you know Gilbert. If there's anything else you want to make comment on or bring up, uh, certainly. But we you know appreciate the updates and certainly want to have more as things. Uh, develop, uh, you know, we can get them back on and, and even off the air to get some more developments. Because you're right. I mean, if, if we don't address this uh, now, then we're going to be having the same conversation in, in 2024. And now what it appears at least that, you know, at least uh, in, the, in the presidential election, the, the blue wall, as they call it, um, may be, you know, re-erected. Uh, you know, Arizona is definitely going to play in a very important part in you know in 2024 so i mean it's, it's 2020 even with the out with the outcome being what it was can show that you could still win you know, the old um the, the old wisdom used to be you know you you win ohio you win florida you win the presidency well 2020 showing that i mean i'm not saying there wasn't cheating there certainly was in 2020 um that you know arizona is going to play even a more important part i think uh, in the upcoming uh, 2024 election. It, that's, that's exactly why they had to steal it. You know, that's exactly why they moved 225,000 voters to the inactive rolls um, before the election, um, which is unheard of. Normally what would happen, the inactive list would, go, would drop a little bit, and the active list would go up a little bit before an election. At least that's what all historically – all the elections prior to it is what happened. But before this one, the inactive list went up 225,000 people. And the active list drops. I don't know how an active list, active voter list drops when you have, you know, one of the um, most, you know, uh, uh, I guess, expensive and most powerful races in a nation, for that matter. You know, everybody was paying attention. Even CNN was saying, Carrie Lake is ahead. Why won't Katie Hobbs debate her? You know, even they were asking and questioning Katie Hobbs. And, you know, but then again, why would you debate somebody and put yourself out there like that if you're just going to steal it and cheat, right? I mean, that's just what Joe Biden did the same thing. Fetterman did the same thing. So there's, there's a um, – we can clearly show – and if you look through my case um, that we have out there, it's on my Twitter. It's on pretty much all my social media. If you look through the case, look through the, um, the, the complaint, um, you're going to clearly see where we're coming from and, and why we're asking – um, to know, to, you know, basically a know this election. Yeah, we've got uh, here. I'd like to, to speak to you. Uh, it's uh, Jim Connor Jr. He's been working with uh, electric, uh, election integrity issues for literally decades, uh, for a very long time. And so I want to uh, bring him on uh, for you. And thank you for. And then we got Kelly. But thank you very much, uh, Jim, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, how how are you doing there, Robert? Are you? Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you, okay. And then we've got um, many other folks in the line, right is now. Is this better? With myself is, and Josh Barnett. Is this better? No, you're good. Listen, thanks for getting Josh Barnett on the show. Um, Josh, I'm Jim Connor Jr. I founded 
watch the vote USA. I've been fighting secret computer accounts since 1979. Okay, uh, I worked mm-hmm. with the Kyers who wrote Vote Scam: The Stealing of America. And I want to just—I'll be brief here, but I'm hoping we can, if you are interested, that we can set up an off—you know—offline three-way call with you, or maybe even have Carrie Lake on it because. I, I, I'm sure you're doing everything you can, but I don't see anything by Trump or anybody else being said that, that needs to be said. And, and, and I don't see any – I don't know what your lawsuit is yet, but I don't, haven't seen any lawsuits filed by anybody that's on point. So first of all, um, um, are you aware of the three Supreme Court decisions that say that they're – both two in 1964 and one in 1915. And they basically say the American voter has a right to two part right to the right to vote. One is a right to cast a ballot, which we're still doing. The other is the right to know that it's counted accurately. That's what they've taken away from us. Now, I don't know. Do you know which company Maricopa County hired to count? All these counties hire one of these three big companies to quote count the vote in secret on their secret computer is it dominion that maricopa county is we, we, yeah, we have dominion dominion and run back is the paper yeah but we have dominion okay. machines here okay well they're one of the smaller ones i guess or they're not not no they're, they're doing some other function for dominion but um so the, the the here here let me just cut to what we say and what i believe needed to be said every time you're talking to the public so they know what the goal is and how far we are away from it. And that is we need paper ballots. Now, Trump the other night in his speech said paper ballots. That is wrong. We have paper ballots in 90% of the country. So you can't just, Trump can't just say paper ballots. It has to be paper ballots counted, excuse me, paper ballots hand counted at the neighborhood precinct before they leave the public site. As you probably know, once the voter votes, like in 100% of 49 states, the vote is ta- the ballot is taken away from the public before it's counted. And yeah. if they say they ran it through a machine or a scanner, that means nothing, because we don't know what that is inside that computer. Anyway, you can find the three Supreme Court decisions that talk about this at the to- on a tab at the top of uh, watchthevoteusa.com. That's watchthevoteusa.com. And that, again, what needs to be said, so the public has to have in mind what we're shooting for so they can see how far it is. Paper ballots hand-counted at the neighborhood precinct before they leave the public site. If that isn't added, then people don't understand the problem. The enemy, like the people you're fighting, that cheated you out of your election and carry out of her election, the enemy will give us anything as long as we can't uh, count the ballots by hand before they leave the public site. Okay, that's number one. The other thing I wanted to mention to you on lawsuits, and I don't know if you can tell us a little bit of what your lawsuit is, but the lawsuit and Trump's people, including uh, uh, Sidney Powell, all Rudy Giuliani, all fi- did not do the right thing. In fact, uh, uh, Sidney Powell almost got herself in trouble by repeating a false story that that Chavez down in Venezuela uh, fixed our voting machine somehow or told people how to do it. No, he he did not do it. It's the three companies, Dominion, 
Hart and ES&S that have done it for 30 years. We haven't had a legal election except in half of, half of New Hampshire since 1988 because this is the enemy of our country trying to steal our country while we still have our guns. They're doing it by elections, and they're getting bolder. That they had Carrie Lake lose, who had a sign I hear in every block in Maricopa County, shows they're, 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 they, they don't think they can get away with anything. But the last thing I wanted to mention here, and, and I'm glad for any reaction that you have, is that um, the, um, the lawsuits should say this. And if you haven't filed this one, already, think of filing it. Even if the judges are corrupt, which they most of them are, this still lets the public know how crooked the system is and how crooked the media is for covering it up. The lawsuit should file, be filed against the Board of Elections, let's say in your case in Maricopa County, and the company they hired, which is at least Dominion. You, might, you have to see if that other company is just providing services to Dominion or if they're hi- separately hired. Sue both of them, Dominion and Barack McCarty, and, and the suit should say, you published a result on election night. We don't believe it. Prove where you got this result. And if a judge will let you interrogate them, then the comedy will begin because they can, cannot, you know. And then, of course, no mail-in ballots. Those are also forbidden by the Supreme Court, to- court decision because you don't know the chain of custody once they're mailed out. No single-day voting, of course. Everybody's got to come with an ID. And absentee has got to be very strictly um, uh, uh, monitored, much more strictly than they are now. So anyway, Josh, uh, if you've got any reactions, if, or if not, um, maybe you could tell us what is the evidentiary deposition or, or hearing. Explain that to us, what's happening on Friday. And if, if this sounds of interest, and I hope it does, then maybe we can do a uh, – 15-minute three-way call with you, Robert, and me, or a four, maybe four-way call with you and Carrie uh, to talk about this, because this is how you put them on the defensive. So, but anyway, any reactions and what, what is happening Friday? What exactly are you, is the evidence you're hearing about? Well, I, I agree with you that we need paper ballots only, no machines. No machines. Precinct county, precinct voting, that's, that's where it should be done. We can have it all done in one night. By midnight, we would know who the winner is. Right. Um, that right. way we can right. guarantee only legal votes are counted, right, according to Article 7, right. Section 7 of Arizona Constitution. And right. it also protects our individual rights in Article 2, Section 21, the right of suffrage here in Arizona. It's our right of suffrage um, uh, protection here and also uh, equal protections um, that were clearly violated um, amongst um, various counties here in Arizona. Um, yes. You know, we had a time extension in Apache County, but not Maricopa, for example. Um, we were denied the time extension um, in Maricopa, but Apache got a two-hour time extension. Um, that, yeah. that, again, that, that shows, you know, clear um, clear bias in a way because we all know Apache is a Democrat county primarily. But, you know, um, besides that, you know, my, my, um, my suit is uh, based on maladministration. I don't argue fraud. I don't try to prove fraud. That's a huge mistake that everybody made. We're not proving fraud. We are using um, uh, maladministration. The machine's not working. Over 30%, up to 50% of the voting centers uh, were shut down throughout the day on, on election day when 75% of Republicans vote on, or, you know, on that day, 75% Republican. Um, we had a tremendous turnout. Uh, you know, this door three nonsense where they were throwing it in for adjudication, we probably had adjudication in 2020 is 11%. 
I guarantee you, I've asked this number from the county recorder, Stephen Richer, and from the elections board here in Arizona. Nobody will answer me what the adjudication percentage was because they know damn well it exceeded even 2020. Mm-hmm. We cannot have an adjudication rate above 3% ever. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, what they're doing, they're picking and choosing. Uh, we have, um, again, I, I, we had a, 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 an inactive voter list that went up 225,000 people within six months, which is it, it's impossible. That doesn't happen. Historically, it's never happened. Um, mm-hmm. It's never gone up. So it's gone down before an election. The active voter list goes up. But this election, the active voter list actually went down. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so based, based on, you know, a lot of stuff, and even the admission of, of the Board of Supervisors Chairman, Bill Gates, you know, fully admitted that oh, we got him on video admitting that uh, election day was chaos. Mm-hmm. It was absolute chaos, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, just on that admission alone, we should get uh, granted an injective relief based off of that. But, you know, like, you know, there's a, there's a case, uh, uh, Yick Woe versus Hopkins. It's um, uh, 118 U.S. 356, 370. And it's, um, an old, it's an old case, but it says voting is a fundamental political right because voting preservative of all rights. So yes. we're telling them there could be no preservation of rights in the process by which those rights are protected is taken over by chaos. So we're right. going after the process. We're going after the rules, form, procedures, statutes. We're all broken in this election. And, you know, and according, you know, we got some of law that says when the form is not observed, it is inferred that the act is annulled. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exactly what happened. Form was not observed. Form was clearly broken in many, many different ways, including state statutes. And, um, you know, it would, by utilizing a maxim, you know, I, I like to throw one of them in there every, every chance I can because um, the application of a maxim, if you guys aren't aware, uh, in a, to a case before the court is generally the only question. It, it's not, not its validity per se. So they're not going to question the validity of a maxim when I bring it to the, when I bring it to the court. They're going to just question the application. Obviously, the application of this is direct to what we're talking about. Uh, you know, but we have um, – I think our case is, is, is pretty strong. I think we have um, – I'm just glancing through it now to give you guys a little bit more from it. Um, you know, but like I said, we're, we're asking for an injunction to stop the certification of this election, and, um, and, and we're asking that the um, – you know, we're asking that it be annulled because you cannot tell me that you break multiple rules, multiple statutes, multiple uh, forms throughout the election, and then tell me it's certifiable. I mean, Josh, you don't have to convince me. Your suit is extremely, totally sound. We're dealing with a bunch of crooks and people that need their job that go along with them. So your suit yep. sounds just on the points you're doing is as good as, as it can be. And um, let me just say two other things before I yield. To the, I want the, you know, don't want to block the other callers from getting in here. But when they they have two days a year, primary in November to run an election and many of these counties act like they didn't even know they had election day oh none of the machines are working (laughs) your only job (laughs) is to have the machines work on election day for heaven's sake and the second thing i wanted to say was that you um they say to people like us prove there was fraud well that's the exact opposite question that's why i said to sue on the other basis it's not our job to prove there was fraud it's your job board of elections to prove that you and the company you hired gave us exactly what the people voted and um you know when when they don't let for instance in your case now or when we've run here they don't let you see the ballots they don't let you see the um 
images of the ballots. They don't let you see the secret program that the private company that's hired is using. So how can you prove anything when you can't see any of the evidence, you know? Yeah, you're right. You're right. And well, you know what the irony is? Thank you. Yeah, go that, ahead. That, go evidence, ahead. that evidence that, you know, like you said, that they have, right? And, you know, we asked, you know, here in Arizona, why ask for the splunk logs, the routers? You know, we want to we want to hand count. We want to um, we want to have a, a paper ballot analysis that we have with Javon Pulitzer. You know, we want to have the machines looked at, and they try to tell us no, and it's it's laughable because the last time I checked, the board of supervisors does, does not own this election. They they do not own the machines. That's paid right. for with tax money from the people. Those are our machines. Those are our paper ballots. This is our election. We we do nothing but delegate authority to you to run a little bit with it, right? We delegate to the Senate. Right. The Senate created them to delegate authority to, to the Board of Supervisors outside of, um, for Election Day, uh, stuff that happened where the county recorder does the early early voter stuff, which should be dissolved, and we should get completely rid of mail-ins and early voter stuff. But, um, you know, yep. so yep. I find it very funny when I ask him when it comes down to authority, where do you get that authority? Where in the Constitution do you get the authority to tell me that I can't inspect my own election? Please show me. Right. Exactly. No one can answer, exactly. no answer my question because they're lying. They're lying to the people, and, and, and they've just never been called on it before. They've never truly been called on it, you know. And, uh, yeah, and, and, it, it's, and it's, uh, obviously, it's obviously against common sense, totally illegal to not let the citizens <laughs> and the voters inspect their yeah. own ballots. So listen, we're, we're, we're all behind you. We, we thank you for all that you're doing, and I hope in the next week or two we can have a brief uh, uh, conversation off air. So uh, uh, again, Robert – Congratulations on getting this quality a guest on again, and I'll I'll yield the floor. Okay. No, I totally appreciate it, uh, Jim. And you know all you're doing on this end, you know, and over in our way, since you know we're, we're, we're local, the you know for election integrity. And I do have, and again, yeah. I don't like to monopolize things um, as well. So I like to just you know bring folks in because we got a, a lot of people who want to you know are very interested and, and yeah. want to get things working. So let's go ahead and. Uh, I got Kelly here. Thank you very much, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, Kitty Hobbs won because she said so. Of course, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm looking at your case here. Uh, you put it on Twitter. I reference over the script. Yeah. yeah. And I want to go over some points. But uh, first, there's a gentleman uh, on the call with us. His name's John Webster. He lives in Phoenix. He's a numbers guy, does numbers in his business. He has looked at the election numbers in many ways. I think he could be a really uh, good ally. Um, I've, I've met him a long time ago, but I also know his brother and his family. So he's somebody you can trust. His name's John um, John Webster from Phoenix. I was speaking with so, a Jonathan, but he's, uh, he's not from here. Okay, it's a different Jonathan. Okay. Yeah, John Webster. And, Robert, can you give uh, – Mr. Webster's number to um, Joshua there. Mr. Give it to Mr. Barnett. And thank you, Mr. Barnett, for what you're doing. Um, all right. So your general allegations, um, you're, see- you're seeking injunctive relief. Uh, Maricopa Board of Supervisors, this is A in your general allegations. <clears throat> yeah. A, County Board of Supervisors Chairman Bill Gates stated that the November 8th election was chaos, and he admitted, admitted responsibility for the chaos. You go to the box three point two B B is ongoing investigation by the Election Integrity Unit of the Arizona Attorney General's Office, and of course they wanted information from Maricopa County. 
just so happened they certified a couple hours before the information was due. Part C, Maricopa response to Assistant Attorney General Wright, and it's basically a big blow-off that the yeah. county supervisors and the election officials did, all right? The checkout and check-in at new location option had no basis in law. This is part D. So they roll your own, do whatever you want, send people over here and there to vote, whatever. That's a mess. And you go into the statutes uh, where this is not authorized for them to do this. Uh, erroneous poll training manual. Oh, my. It's not just the manual, but it's also when they're being – the poll workers are getting trained in a class. Yeah. Uh-huh. You call That's them right. out on that. Yeah, let's go to the next one. Illegal provisional ballots. Oh, my. Okay, provisional that's a big ballots. That's point right those, there. People got to understand this one. That's, that's, a, that's a big point. Provisional ballots are, and by the way, I'm with Watch the Vote, too. I'm conference call with uh, Jim Condit about every week. <clears throat> and uh, for, for those who don't understand what a provisional ballot is used for, it is a problem solver. I've had to do a provisional ballot when I moved. Okay, so it's it's a quote-unquote problem solver, but it has to be handled very carefully and according to state law. When when the and Bernie Sanders campaign 2016 LA had a ton of provisional ballots record number because they were messing up the voter registration system. So the um, yeah, so I'm glad you covered that abnormal F abnormal increase of inactive voter list in run up to the November 8 election. Let's just get rid of a bunch of voters. All right, so then it causes all sorts of confusion. Then you have to go to a provisional ballot. All right. Um, here's another point you made, and then you get to I'm, – I'm, I'm on page 10 of 17. Hopefully, we'll get to this quick. Legal allegations, part two of your lawsuit, and I'm so happy that you're going to have an evidentiary hearing soon. That is awesome. Legal allegations, part two of your lawsuit. A, the election results are incurably un. And you yeah. cited an Arizona court case there. That's really good. All right. Um, and then uh, repair of substitution of machines, use of paper ballot. And we basically, the ballot printing device, printers printed out ballots that were very light. John Webster, yeah. John, when he comes on, he will explain that his own ballot was printed super light. And then the vote counting machine wouldn't take it. Oh, let's put it in box yeah. number three. And so standing, obviously you provide standing enough that you have an evidentiary hearing. And then uh, your declaratory relief, uh, judicial determination and a declaratory judgment that the general election concluding on November 8th has been rendered incurably uncertain due to the misconduct of election boards and officers making and participating in the canvas thereof. Um, Wow. Can't do injunctive relief, the above allegations. Plaintiff will be irreparably harmed if the defendant, Katie Hobbs, is permitted to certify the statewide canvas of the general election of November 8th. As to the races for governor, secretary of state, attorney general, and United States uh, senator, this means you've been disenfranchised and there's voter um, dilution. Request for relief, you go through that, okay. Um, very good. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So um, I sure hope uh, you and a team of people have uh, better results with the judge than you had 
and I was in the in front of this county supervisor because I was watching the Maricopa supervisors live on Monday. I couldn't believe the arrogance. I, I was disgusted with those people. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. So anyway, I did. I just absolutely congratulate you. And by the way, um, there's other election integrity activists joined us, not just John there in Phoenix, but hopefully a few other people. Um, um, Robert can bring them in later. But I, I did want to mention, you know, I submitted a petition to the statewide grand jury in Arizona. It's it's in Yuma, and that same grand jury indicted two people on October third. Um, Todd Lawson was the prosecutor, and I sent a copy of said petition, First Amendment right to petition for redress of grievance. They got that on November 3rd, the Thursday before the election. I also sent copies to Maricopa County Grand Jury, uh, Pima County Grand Jury, and the Pinal Grand Jury, as well as the Attorney General, and the United States Postal Inspection Service. I sent it to the campaigns of... Uh, I, I, through another person, uh, Carrie Lake campaign, as well as Mark Fincham and Hamadah, the Attorney General. So that is a tool that we can use. If this was 1920, the grand jury would be all over this. Uh, I wrote a book about this, more research. Hopefully, uh, Paul Nally can explain that in 1793, the grand jury was used to not only remove an, a number of Georgia State House uh, legislators, but also a congressman. So this is a tool, this is an avenue, maybe for another day, um, but you do have the right to petition for redress of grievance, and that includes to a grand jury. And so they, the grand jury can start asking questions, who, what, when, where, and how. And it looks like the AG is in your favor that can help with this. So we can talk off air about that a little more. But it, I've been before a grand jury at my request, and that's over elections back in 2016. And I have far advanced my approach that I hope we would be successful. And the grand jury is completely independent of the courts, completely independent of the prosecutor. It is its own independent body. Case law, case law, case law, don't have time. So I absolutely applaud what you're doing, and I, you know, I'll be praying. Um, so many questions. How in the world, how in the world uh, did Carrie Lake lose when uh, Arizona sent six congressmen the United States Congressman, the Democrats only sent three. <laughs> yeah. Of the six the Republicans sent, the congressman, two of those districts were flipped from Democrat to Republican. In the That's primary, right. there were 38% more Republican ballots cast than Democrats. Um, you, you have over 200,000, or is it 300,000, more votes for state house legislators for Republicans than you have Democrats. I mean, I can go on with these numbers and stats. Uh, John can help you. But this is ridiculous. This is – I have the right to be suspicious, okay? Call me an election denier. I don't care. I still have the right to be suspicious. And suspicion leads to investigation, confirming, denying facts, and there you go. Law enforcement needs suspicion to get their work done. So I absolutely applaud what you're doing. And any way I can help you, let me know. I guess I need to yield so that other people can come in and give give some of their thoughts, particularly John. If you can get uh, John Webster. Get these two connected. I think he's a good ally for you. So, Robert, if you can bring John in. Yeah, yeah, I'll bring him in uh, momentarily. Uh, just a couple of things uh, I want to bring up is, and then I want to bring it back over to you, Josh, and then I'll bring in John. Is that I mean I think that's a, you know a big problem is you I mean, you've got a lot of Republicans 
who they, they're so afraid to be called uh, election deniers, not, not just Republicans. I'm not talking about just politicians. You are afraid to be called election deniers by, you know, the so-called media, which we know is just the propaganda arm of the Democrat Party and this current regime. Uh, but you also have political pundits. I mean, you, you listen, you know, I mean, even, you know, people like, you know, Sean Hannity and, and, and the like, they, they're just not they're just not going there. Um, you know, so they're afraid. And then you have the very the, the president even out, you know, doing it. So no one wants to be called an election denier or a threat to democracy, because unfortunately, there's been enough people who I believe have been led to believe it. I mean, it, it, this past election was shocking to me. Um, uh, on you well, know, on that. But anyway, let's go ahead and bring it back to you, John. You can't you can't fix stupid. And uh, unfortunately, we got a lot of stupid out there. You know, if you're if you're afraid of being called an election denier, you need to toughen up. You need to toughen up a lot. We have a lot of weak, soft people, weak-minded people that need that need to get tough and uh, if they're standing up for what's right. What's you know clearly in your face gaslighting. You know when I show you. Uh, statutes broken, 31% of the machines don't work on election day only, never had a problem prior to that, just election day, where we know 75% of those those voters on election day are Republicans. You know, it, it's so obvious what they did to force, you know, I call them adjudication machines. These adjudication uh, machines that they have there are exactly for that. So I'm a box three. Box three is the misread ballots. Oh, it's not reading. Well, okay, well, don't worry about it. We're going to count them down at the county. Trust me. You know, trust us. <laughs> you know, it's a joke. This whole election was an absolute joke. It was illegally run. Uh, it's invalid on its face. And, and, it, and there's no way it should be certified. And it, we should have a new election. That's exactly what, sh- what should happen. All we ask for is an, a fair election that is run legally and properly. And that's all we ask. It's, I don't think it's asking a whole lot. But anybody out there who uh, who doesn't think this election or these last couple of elections were rigged, I don't know what planet you're living on. I don't I don't know what you're listening to. I don't know where you're getting your information from. But the facts are facts. When rules for procedure statutes are all broken, the election is illegal, and it cannot you cannot certify something to make it valid. You can't do that. When something's invalid, you can't certify it to make it valid. It's not how it works. And, uh, you know, that's why we're demanding this election be annulled, and we've demanded a new election. Much like, you know, like a, almost like a runoff they have in Georgia. Uh, this won't be a runoff, but, you know, with everything that happened on Election Day, you cannot tell me that the people on Election Day that voted had the same opportunity for their vote to count that people did prior to. You can't, you can't guarantee me that. And um, there, there's, it's just a, a litany of problems that, that I would say, you know, they need to be fixed, but you have people out there saying, uh, you know, they don't want to get rid of the machines. Anyone who says that we should keep the machines is part of the problem and they're part of the corruption. And we, we need to eliminate these people. Like, you know, you made a great point. We're 6'3 con- congressionally here in Arizona now. We held the House and Senate. You know, we, uh, we won the commissioner races, flipped a lot of school boards. But we lost all the big statewide races. Doesn't make any sense. And uh, when things don't make sense, they don't make sense for a reason. We look at all the all the rules and laws that were broken throughout the election, and uh, and that, that's what we're going after. We're going after stuff we can prove, stuff we can show. And uh, I'm not in, in the in the uh, in the game of uh, proving fraud. 
unlimited game or showing something was illegally run and it cannot be valid. Well, Josh, it makes complete sense if you want to keep the laws the way they are, because I know many months ago that the uh, Arizona legislature tried to change the laws, but it was uh, Democrats denied it. They didn't have the votes in the Senate to change the election laws. And so you still have drop boxes in this disaster. If, you know, the House and the the state house and the state senate went to republican control all you have to do is control the governor with hobbs and you cannot change the election laws so it makes complete sense that they want to keep that the problems if they want to keep the law that's caused all these problems you focus on the governor and the secretary of state yeah i mean it makes complete sense to me because the most important positions you know individual positions are the secretary of state because they run the election. you got the attorney general, which can investigate the secretary of state, and then you have the governor. That's why you just have to pick three and go at it. And so they can let the legislature be all Republican, but that, that, that's where the control has to be, is governor, secretary of state, and the attorney general. And the, and the, the, the plan is working so far. Well, we, we, you know, well, we, it doesn't matter you have a Republican legislature because if we pass a law that got the – the, the the fascist governor would just veto everything, so nothing would ever get passed officially. Right. Well, and I think and I think opti- I think optics is very important as well uh, because you know yes you get you know, the state legislatures you know uh, the state senate things of that nature I mean you just nationally and, and presidential elections are national and again because they're going to need other states the republicans are going to need, they know the republicans are going to start needing other states you know especially in the the presidential election and and, and all eyes are on arizona and so it's those big races such as the governorship that they can point to and say hey look i mean arizona is not really a red state because they voted for a, a democrat uh you know for governor or you know or other those more um you know, prominent uh, positions, you know, there in the legislature, when they get more attention. So I think that's a part of it, because, I mean, a lot of people, they just look at the things on the surface. And I'm talking about the general public. And so they, they need something to be, you know, that, you know, people will pay attention to, so that when it does come to the election, they, you know, they have something to point to. Now, p- numbers. I mean, you, what you mentioned earlier, Kelly, and then one of the things I want to bring on uh, for John is he's talking about, you know, these one-vote ballots. Now, it, it looks like, and I guess, I mean, as Kelly said, you got to at least show some numbers to get, you know, get people's interest to actually do more investigating, and that and that's what's needed. And so, you know, I want to bring it over to you, John, because I want you to explain, especially the, you know, the occurrence where there's, it seemed like there was like 39,000 um, possible one-vote ballots where all they did was vote for uh, the governor. And I, we find it interesting that, uh, and maybe you could uh, – confirm this uh, for us, Josh, is that apparently the, the race between Hobbs and, and Lake was, you know, a point six uh, difference, you know, that she, she beat, uh, opposed, supposedly uh, defeated Kerry, you know, by point six, when point five, I believe, is, is for a, a, a recount. Uh, so it's funny that only point one percent kept, you know, is keeping things away from there. But, um, I mean, is that is that the, the correct uh, spread like 0.6 percent. Yeah, it's 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 uh you're right, but you know I never really cared too much about it because if we do a recount, they're just going to recount the same fraud they counted before. Right. <laughs> so, that's true. I you know and Javon Pulitzer clearly showed in the 2020 paper analysis that everybody tabled and put to the put to the side like Brenovich never even looked at it. Um, how they inserted counterfeit ballots and he has it broken down by precinct. 
how many counterfeit ballots were put in to the election. And, uh, and they weren't just for Biden, some for Trump, you know, might make it look not too obvious. But, you know, we have all this data and all this information. And, you know, it, it's, it's just crazy because you guys know if the rule of law with our elections is lost, you know, like our constitutional republic is doomed. You know what I mean? There's, there's nothing – everything that we do as a republic stems from who we elect to serve us, right, as, as our elected servants, I call them. I don't call them leaders. They're elected servants. And, uh, you know, we can't we – can't, we cannot continue allowing these illegal elections and not doing anything about it because they're just selecting who they want. That's exactly what's happening. And it's yeah. not just happening here; it's happening everywhere. And uh, and I, I I'm glad that more people are waking up to it, but not enough. But you know, it's um, if we had a, a, a fair election in Arizona, Carrie Lake would blow away Katie Hobbs. There is no way a Republican, I don't care if they're McCainite, you know, there's a handful of them, because people said, oh, we didn't get the moderates, and everything. that's a bunch of bull. I'm not buying it. They straight up cheated this election and rigged it, and that's why she won. Because there's no way a, 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 a Republican would say, wow, Katie Hobbs looks like a great governor. She'd be phenomenal. But I'm going to vote for um, Kimberly Yee. I'm going to vote for um, – oh, Adrian Fontes would be a great recorder. I think I'm going to – or uh, Secretary of State. You know, he rigged the 2020 election. He lost to Stephen Richer. But I'm going to vote for him to be the Secretary of State now. It makes no sense. But then I'm going to vote for the Republicans in my LD. So I'm going to make sure we got that locked in in the LD and Senate, but I'm not going to vote for Carrie Lake. It's just, it's just, it's not logical. And when you look at how things are broken, rules for procedure all broken, it's clear what happened. And uh, I will never accept this election. I did accept 2020. All we asked for is a, a fair election, and we have not had one yet. And I'm not going to stop fighting until we get one. And I'm not going to stop fighting until we get all the stuff in place that allows us to have the most fair election we can. There's always going to be fraud and people trying to do stuff, but we need to eliminate as much as we can that, that takes, you know, the potential for fraud away. And we've already kind of discussed that, touched on it already. So uh, we have a lot of work ahead of us, but, you know, we're going to, we're going to push this thing. We're going to, you know, I'm going to appeal this thing as far as I possibly can and, um, and, and try to get somebody, a judge who um, is not partisan, a judge who wants to stand on truth and stand on the law. And if we get somebody like that, then we're going to have a ruling that is um, is what the people want, and 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 not just Republicans. Well, Democrats, I laugh at them because the shoe's going to be on the, on the other foot someday, because they're doing us both ways, guys. Over the decades, they've been doing us both ways. They appease us a little bit, giving us a little bit here. They give the Democrats a little bit there. They kind of appease everybody from both sides, play the game, and uh, and selected who they want in office to keep things under control in uh, the establishment, I mean, the uniparty. And uh, we, we, we have to go back to the basics and uh, with our elections, and that's exactly what I will never stop until that happens. Well, before I bring uh, John on, um, I, always, I always thought it was – I never really believed the whole pendulum swinging uh, deal that you hear. Oh, well, you know, first it, it swings to the left, and then it swings to the right. Well, I could have made a joke out of that, but I won't. But anyway <laughs> – you know, I never really could uh, – I really never played into that because – and I agree. I think they just, you know, as like you said, well, make it, you know, seem, you know, well, we're going, you know, more conservative, then more liberal. But it seems like – but we're slowly getting more left uh, in this country. And I think, yeah, in part is because – and that's one of the things about Trump 
I mean, that amazed me because, I mean, we've been talking about you know, the corruption of Washington, D.C. Uh, for decades. Uh, and then you have Trump you know, come in and, and finally say, hey, I'm going to you know, drain the swamp and address the corruption. And somehow almost half the country, if you can believe it, was convinced that he was the one who's actually corrupt. Uh, so it's, it's, just, it's just amazing the power of that. Uh, it's just one of the things we have to do other than elections is you know, to position ourselves uh, in, in positions of, of influence. I mean, you, you know, conservatives mostly work on, you know, the, the cogs, the running of the country, and then the people who are, the, you know, what would be considered the influencers, the media, academia, entertainment, uh, and even in your psychological circles. I mean, they're, they're liberals. They're the ones who actually, uh, you know, convince the minds, you know, of, of the masses, of the public. That's why we have to protect the republic instead of democracy. But anyway, so let's go ahead and uh, bring in John because uh, he's got some interesting points. And he's there in Phoenix, so I thought it would be good to bring someone who's uh, looking for you as well. Uh, thank you very much, John, for coming to the show. How are you? Hey, great. <clears throat> Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, pretty quickly after the election finished up, I started just kind of seeing some anomalies in the numbers that uh, made me pause and and finally, I started to just uh, do, do some quick math. Struck me as odd that the governor's race, uh, if I look at the gross votes, if I look at the Democrat and the Republican votes and combine them together, the governor's race had had 39,000 more votes than the the top six uh, average races. So it, it actually had. 38,470 more voters that voted in the governor's race than in the U.S. Senate race. And the U.S. Senate race had a lot more advertising, a lot more hit pieces, a lot more content out there. And so that struck me as odd. And then it struck me as odd that governor's race had uh, 35,775 more votes than the secretary of state had 48,000 more votes. Then the attorney general race had 59,633 more votes than the state treasurer race. And yet the state treasurer, the Republican candidate, had 100,000 more votes than either Republican candidate got, but had 60,000 less votes in their race. And and that started to uh, make you wonder, so there's 30 5,000 at minimum, there's 35 to 39,000 ballots out there with just one dot filled out on them for the governor's race. That's, I call it a one-eyed ballot. And that one-eyed ballot, uh, those voters had to skip the top two races above the governor's race to go to that one dot. And so it puzzles me that 1.5% of the total voters would cast a vote for just one dot. And and that, that becomes a big red flag for a potential hazard if less than half of 1% requires a, a mandatory recount. How does 1.5% of the total voters uh, just vote in one race? And I thought if we drill our way back and find where those ballots drop, uh, that would be a significant find, probably find that uh, same fingerprints were on uh, and DNA were on uh, a lot of ballots. Uh, but the 
other puzzling thing was that the Secretary of State reports that the total number of ballots that were tabulated, which were counted, 2.592 million, and the governor's race is shy, 35,500 ballots from that total tabulated. So 35,500 ballots that were cast simply didn't vote in the governor's race either. And, and that, that strikes you as odd if that's the highest voted race. Uh, that doesn't even account for the fact that, you know, there's reports that the box three filled up repeatedly during the day and had to be emptied, which actually violates the, the legal process that's written out for the election and how it's supposed to be managed. It's not supposed to be unlocked until end of the election cycle and that those ballots went into black bags, which are the same black bags that carried all of the prior tabulated ballots to the central. So there's a, there's a lot of things that simply are questionable. When we look at the state Senate races and the fact that there's 1.255 million voters that voted for Republican candidates in the state Senate, and there's a million 37,000 that voted for Democratic candidates in the state Senate races around the whole state. And there's 34,382 that voted independent senators, which those would tend to lean, I would say, more towards GOP than Democratic. But that's that's a pretty big disparity. That's a 20, almost a 25% uh, bump up on the Republican vote compared to the Democratic. And you're telling me the top six races in the state or top five races in the state with those same voters all went blue? I have a challenge with that. Uh, hey, John, what's the number, what's so, the number in, the, in the state house uh, reps? What's the difference there? In the in the state house reps uh, total races and 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 it's 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 a little fuzzy because you've got two elects in each district and so a lot of those polled multiple Republicans but the total vote count in the uh, GOP on the on the red two million thirty five thousand four hundred twenty nine voters voted for Republican state reps and 1,453,000 votes voted for the Democratic reps. So you're so at least 400,000 difference more for the Republicans than the Democrats. Almost, 500, almost 575,000 yeah. know, difference. That's pretty significant spread of votes that were cast for Republican candidates versus Democratic candidates in the uh, in the representatives. So you have a hard time when you see this many flags. And the message I sent to the election directors was, if there are flags that take place that raise concerns, and there are things that violated the election laws that raise concerns. Willful blindness is is unacceptable. In in financial in financial crimes, a, a a financial services agent that watches 
money crimes take place and does not report, they become willfully complicit and are criminally liable for those crimes. And they're not even involved. They just simply are seeing it happen and not reporting. Suspicious activity report, as they are. And so when you see numbers like this, you've got to pause and go, how are there really 40,000 one-eyed ballots? How are there 40,000 voters that simply voted in one race and didn't vote in any others? That normally only so, takes place if someone's in a really big hurry to fill out ballots. I mean, so if you if you take um, the one-eyed ballots and you add, say, 40,000, I did the numbers on this, this takes us out of the realm of the recount. The recount is 0.5%. You add in the one-eyed ballots, the one-vote ballots, that puts it at 0.6%, which throws it out of the recount per state law. So that is a huge suspicion, and that was a very good find there, John. Yeah, well, I mean, that in and of itself, depending on where those one-eyed ballots are cast, that's, I mean, there's a 17,000-vote differential between the two governors, candidates, right? So 40,000 that's for sure could have taken a race from one candidate winning to another candidate winning, right? And not only taking it from one to the other, but moved it beyond recount on the other. The 35,000 ballots that supposedly didn't have a vote for the governor's race could have changed that race in and of itself, right? Yeah, if people didn't vote for governor, then you'd have a discrepancy there. But why would you – and you have to pass over – when you looked at your ballot, who was the first, second, and third candidates? What race, what race is one, two, three when you look at your ballot? And would people skip over things just to vote for a governor? So on my, skipped over the U.S. Senate and the Congress. U.S. Uh, Senate and Congress. And then you get to the third race governor. So people would be grabbing their ballot. They'd skip over the United States Senate. They would skip over the Congress, and then they'd put – they would fill in the oval for Cary Lake or Hobbs, the governor race. Right. So they'd, you'd have to skip right. over – I mean, why even go vote if you're not going to express your opinion? And then you got other right. down-ballot candidates. Why would you not – vote for other while you're there i mean i mean that's the privilege the, the right of voting is let's you know all the way down to dog catcher doesn't make sense unless unless you're in a hurry to get like caught back up because you don't want to report numbers until you can maintain a lead what what we saw was you know, they announced before the election started that that they had 900,000 mail-in ballots in Maricopa County. Uh, and the election count started with a significant deficit to Cary Lake, like close to 200,000. And then during the course of the evening, Cary Lake was, and the next day, Cary Lake rapidly catching because of day of election votes. And uh, then they stopped counting for a while. What happened? 
gives them time to cheat, right? Yeah. I mean, normally, you know, if you see a, a fancy car and they're packaging, carrying packages of, uh, of plastic wrap stuff and they're trading a bunch of cash with people, you might think there's drug activity going on, right? And, and that suspicious activity would be reported, and, and it would typically be investigated by law enforcement that oversees that, right? And they would, they would uh, stop that crime of those criminals by investigating getting crime. And if you want to not have crime take place in our elections, you've got to dig, find where it's at, what's going on, how it's happening, and you have to punish crime. Otherwise, it will continue. So there was a uh, article by Gateway Pundit called Finally, 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 Is There Some Evidence? Um, this might help, uh, Josh, in your lawsuit if you can, if you're doing subpoenas and depositions. Um, basically, Omega for America reported that what they're doing is they're getting into the voter registration system, and shortly before the ballots are mailed out, they change the zip code. This is what they're saying. Now, I've seen this in Siskiyou County, California which were on the Oregon border, our election clerk said that there were three precincts that didn't get their vote-by-mail ballots. She admitted it right to the supervisors. Oh, it's just a snafu. Well, under this theory of changing the zip codes, the ballots go out, but they don't get delivered to the person. So where do these ballots go to? Do they go back to the county election office? Does the U.S. Postal Service take it and do something? Where do these ballots go? When you get in and hack the voter registration system. And in 2016, we're going to Bernie Sanders folks here in California. I don't like his politics per se, but we had testimonies of people that had their voter registrations flipped from vote by mail to vote at the precinct. They had their, they were flipped into other parties. One guy on election day, he checked and that morning he was registered to vote. And that night he checked if it was registered to vote. He still was on Wednesday and Thursday. He was not registered to vote at all. And then he testified in his declaration that on Friday, all of a sudden, he's re-registered again. So what am I saying? Ask uh, in the subpoena form or deposition of election clerks if they received uh, thousands of ballots that came back to them, what were on the ballots, and were the zip codes changed? Because if they still have the ballots, oh, that's right, uh, 52 U.S.C. 20701, they have to keep all election materials in a federal election for 22 months. If those vote-by-mail ballots came back in the envelope, checking in with the voter's real zip code, and it's right there on the ballot, it's a different zip code, then you got a smoking gun right there. Yeah, no, something like that could be powerful. Again, it's trying to prove it, right? Um, and getting the opportunity to to um, get access to the stuff we need to prove it, and that's what's always been the big fight. And um, that's why I I don't waste my time. I mean, it's it's a valuable thing. I mean, it's something that could be added as amendment to um, to the suit. You know what I mean? As we go along, but I I don't waste my time trying to prove fraud. I waste my time. <laughs> I feel like I waste my time. I spend my time uh, showing 
that the election on its face was illegally ran and, and, and it, it cannot be certified. So, you know, it's like anything. If you cheat and, and you're illegally doing something, whether it's in a sport or anything, can't win something when you've been cheating the entire time. You've had, uh, mm-hmm. you know, look at, uh, I mean, they, they, take, they take championships away from colleges, you know, 10, 15 years later for a spot yeah. they found out about cheating, right? I mean, it's a very similar thing, like the, the general principle, I mean, um, you know, and, and, and that's, that's what I focus on because I think we get so tied up into the shiny object and not actually being able to prove it 100% beyond a reasonable doubt, then, mm-hmm. then, then, and then we fail to win. And every single time, if you look at these cases that Trump's team has brought, they're always trying to prove fraud, and they always get their butts whooped. They always get this misunderstanding. That's a whole other issue. Um, that's one thing we are very aware of is the standing issue. Obviously, we have a little bit of standing. They're, they're here in my case. Uh, so we kind of got through that, um, you know, at least initially. Uh, but I'm, I'm not going to go to this case Friday, like I said, to prove fraud, although don't get me wrong. All that stuff can matter, and all that stuff can be potentially proven with an audit, right, uh, as a, uh, a right. full forensic audit of everything. And there's no doubt in my mind that we would find it, to be honest with you. But I try to show what we can show now, and what I can show now is the election was illegally ran, and, uh, and I can show statutes broken. I can show rules and procedures and the election manual broken, and, and that's what we're focusing on. I think, I think that's where we get um, the, annulled, you know, the election annulled or – the election um, shown to be a nullity um, on its face, and, and that's that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to do something different, you know what I mean? Because we're oh forever. Oh, okay. So uh, a, a light, is, a, a light, yeah, a light well, just well, went well, on. Well, so you're not necessarily trying to prove the fraud. You're trying to prove illegal procedures. Law was violated. Let's go after yeah. the procedures and the law, not necessarily the evidence of you know yeah. what everybody's yeah. trying to else trying to prove the evidence of the fraud. You're going after. How the law was broken in the procedure and running the elections—that's what you're doing. And and also, I could show constitutionally that you know these people swore an oath to the Constitution, and the Constitution yeah. clearly says that you guys read Article Seven, Section Seven: only legal votes shall be counted and declared to the winner. You can't guarantee me with all the stuff that happened—statutes broken, rules, procedure, everything broken, form broken—that only legal votes are counted in this election. You can't guarantee me that. You know, you can't guarantee me in Article 2, Section 21, the right of suffrage. You can't guarantee me that everybody had equal protections for their vote to be counted. That, that didn't happen. Right. And, and, and you swore an oath to this. And, and, and the, the Constitution trumps any of your BS statutes that, that they keep throwing out there. See, I, don't mess, I really try not to mess with statutes, although we have some clear case statutes being broken that make it very easy for us to use. I prefer to use the Constitution and, and um, something that is the highest law and, and, and what they swore an oath to. When they can't guarantee that, that's how we got the Maricopa Forensic Audit here the first time. You know, we mm-hmm. had this conversation with the Senate with Karen Fan, and I told her, can you guarantee me, Karen, that only legal votes are counted? We put an affidavit, we sent it to them. And they were like, no, we, we can't because there's too, much, too many things that happened that, that, we, you know, that we can't guarantee that. Well, if you can't guarantee that, we want a forensic audit to find out what did happen. So that's kind of where that, that yep. the concept all came from into the into getting that um, into getting that particular audit. But you know, then again, you have a corrupt AG who doesn't follow through with anything, who doesn't enforce anything. Um, you know, and, and, and that's it's unfortunate because we've clearly shown and and I know Greg Phillips and Catherine gave 
Brenovich in December 2020, all the information that's in 2,000 Mules, they gave that information to Brenovich. He didn't do one thing with it. didn't even mention it. And, uh, you know, ballot harvesting is illegal in Arizona. And, uh, and, and we have videos, even from this election, of people that was posted in the Gateway Pundit, of videos of people dropping handfuls and stacks of ballots into these drop boxes. And, uh, again, broken form, broken procedure, and uh, it broke a statute in that case. So it's, um, you know, until, until we have a proper, uh, you know, a proper election, we are going to continue uh, to have people selected in the office, and we're going to continue to um, – the, the people are the ones that are going to be hurt by it. And, yep. and it's, it's, it's very unfortunate that we don't have people in office, um, no matter what side you're on, to be honest with you, even if you're a Democrat. Have some freaking integrity, you know. Have, have some, have 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 a you know like an ounce of integrity with your position and, w- and what the United States stands for and what we believe in and what the Constitution says. And uh, it, but it's up to us, the people, to force it. We need to force it to happen. And uh, you know, as you know, Robert, we do affidavits and notices and many other. I, I like to work outside of the courts because the courts are corrupt. Um, I prefer to do it that way with different things we do, but um, I, I this is the first time I've ever filed a lawsuit because I was willing to try anything to get their attention to show them. Basically, I'm daring them to tell me that this election was perfectly legally ran. I'm daring you to tell me that's true, and if you can't tell me that that's true, you need to mow this election and give us a new one. It's really, so, I mean, that's really the translation of what I'm trying to tell them. Right. So your question is, is fundamental in this whole case. So the judge is going to have to answer the question, but also the defendants are going to have to answer the question. The question is, how can you guarantee me that this election was 100% secure, 100% accurate, and had zero vulnerabilities when you violated the law? Yeah. It's, you know, here's how you destroy people. You destroy people with simplicity. You know, and, and I have, you know, you have all these really smart attorneys, these Harvard Law people, and say, and I've, I've been in meetings with all of them. They're smart people, but they're corrupt, <laughs> you know, and they're controlled by the bar. And the Bar Association only lets them go so hard, even if they want to help. They, won't, they only go so hard because they don't want their license taken away and have their livelihood stripped from them. So and I, I know mm-hmm. this going into it. So I would just stick to the basics. You know, can you, can, sir, can you prove this to me? Can you tell me the only legal book? Can you guarantee me that that's what happened? And when they say no, it's game over. It's game over at that point. It's just getting them to say no in public and on the record to show it, right? And that's what I plan on doing on Friday. Um, I plan on getting that answer from somebody. And, uh, and I'm hoping that um, the judge will clearly see that, that they cannot answer yes. With all the all, all the abnormalities that happened in the um, in the clear violations of the procedures manual and statute. So when the law is being violated, they cannot say yes, everything's fine. They can't. They're going to go in with political answers, like the supervisors did, but in a court of law, they cannot answer that question. You cannot guarantee this election when the law was violated, can you? Well, uh, uh, uh. uh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun to uh, talk to these people because, like I said, they'll use all these brilliant arguments and all these fancy statutes they write. 
But when it comes right down to it, you know, when I tell them, hey, to, to derogate from the law is to take away part of it, to abrogate a law, to abolish it entirely. And then they just look at me like, where the hell did you come up with that? <laughs> you know? And, and I'm like, well, it's a maximum law. It's actually from a Supreme Court case um, in, uh, in Bouvier on page 91. I go, feel free to look it up. I go, you can't, you can't deny what I'm saying because a maximum law can't be denied. You know, so, you know, there's another one. Um, it's um, laws are abrogated or repealed by the same authority by which they are made. So when they tell us that they can't do something, they can't do anything about it, you can't delegate authority to something that you don't already have yourself. I'm, I'm sure you've already so done this. Real quick, Kelly, Kelly, yeah. we got to Kelly, I don't want to, what's that, the eighth deadly uh, sin or something like that? Uh, you, got, you, got you know what I'm talking about for past days. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we call it the eighth deadly sin here on the show. Uh, Kelly knows what it is. Um, and so, well, I, we've got a couple folks in the line. Um, uh, I think two, both from California, so, you know, neighbors to yours. But two things I want to point out is, you know, one, one part of my consternation is, of course, the judge that did not allow extra time to vote in Maricopa County. Uh, I don't even think they were putting his name out very much for whatever reason. Um, and then, two, I mean, I've seen video where people were taking pictures of the ballots as they're putting the ballots inside the boxes. Now, why else? why would you be taking a picture of the ballots while you're putting them in the drop box? Uh, you know, the, the you know, drop box. It's like, well, are they paying you per ballot for how many that That's you're dropping exactly. in that box? <laughs> but we have uh, – yeah, so I'd like to talk if we have some time more about that, that judge if we can. Um, but, uh, okay, and so but we do have uh, Holly, and then we also have uh, William on the line. Uh, I believe, again, both from uh, California. But let's go ahead and bring in Holly. Uh, thank you very much, Holly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? You're welcome. Thank you. And thank you for having Josh uh, Barnett on there. And I am so grateful for your courage of stepping up and stepping forward. Um, I've done little in pro pers for my family court cases and sometimes, or in pro se, and that's sometimes the only way that one can do it. And um, the fellow in the beginning of this uh, call, mentioned something interesting uh, he said about the Dominion and then about Runbeck. That aspect of it is interesting if these people were contracted by Dominion and I guess Dominion or whoever voting counting services were probably contracted by the Board of Supervisors. So in any way, Josh, thank you so much. I'm just learning about you and Dave Jose and I'm so encouraged by your um, Thinking my great great grandfather was a uh, finished his life out as an honorable judge, but he first studied law, um, you know, the law of God and man as a doctor of theology, etc. And then he took a, a boat in the late 1800s, more than a boat, to the Far East. And when he came back, he decided to study law. But I am so grateful. And here in California, you know, when we swear an oath in the court. They're missing, you know, I swear under God, and it's just under ourselves, and it's like so missing that we can't, you know, and sometimes in my court things I'll say, according to the laws of God and man, even though they don't require that. So anyway, thank you for your love, your courage, your wisdom, your humor, and I do hope you come back to join um, everyone here again another time, and God bless. 
and thank you. That's all. Thank you. Thank you for that. We, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate that people don't understand that our laws come from God and not from man. And, uh, you know, we have inherent God-given laws that are given to us through our Declaration of Rights, Bills of Rights. And, uh, you know, when you understand the Bills of Rights, and that's where the majority of our rights are for the people, not the U.S. Constitution, but in our 50 state constitutions. And, and when you understand that you have uh, rights in Virginia in the bills of rights there for example those are applicable to me in Arizona to you in California they're interchangeable the bills of rights are interchangeable you can't have rights in a state in one state not the other state so that's what people get confused on because I'll cite Virginia for example and I choose Virginia a lot of times because they have, I like the language and it's powerful but my, my great grandfather sick back was in the 5th Virginia convention uh, with Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and George Mason and Patrick Henry and all of them. He was uh, a, a representative of Bodotor County, um, and he was there. So I think it's kind of in my blood maybe a little bit uh, to fight back against a political government. But, um, you know, we, you know, when I cite that, it's applicable to us. So um, keep that in mind when you're reading your state constitutions. If you really want to know your rights, read through those because that's where they really are, and that's what they try to hide from us. They never teach us in school about our state constitution, the bills of rights, and, and not only under, read them, but understand them and learn them and how to apply them. And that, that's what David and I have been trying to teach um, as much as possible in the last couple of years is showing people how to stand on your rights and what to do. Thank you. I want to get this in while you're waiting for the next caller. Um, Josh? Uh, yeah. I want to introduce something to you that's very powerful in your court case, and hopefully I'm, I'm pretty sure you've already thought about it, but each law has a legislative intent, okay? Every law that was violated not only violated the strict law as written, but also the legislative intent. Now, how would you get that legislative intent? Well, if you're still in contact with Ms. Fan, her staffers can – Look up the law, write the legislative intent, write you a letter, and all the laws that were violated. Here's a legislative intent, which also explains why we passed this law, what is it trying to prevent, et cetera, et cetera. So legislative intent, and you, if you have a letter from the legislature, the Arizona legislature, and you hand that over to the judge, bam, that's power right there. No, you're right. You're right. I'm very aware of those, and, uh, and we also, as you know, um, people alter uh, you know, over time will alter and change the laws, right? And they get away from that intent. But um, we, we're, we're aware of that. But like I said, right now, we're, we're kind of hyper-focused on just a few things um, that, you know, if, if it would happen to get brought up in the court, it's something I could fire back with. But um, I got 15 minutes, you know what I mean? And uh, I don't know what the judge is going to ask. I don't know what, what she's going to um, allow me to even say. Um, who knows, you know, I, you know, I, I have, uh, Leo Zanofrio I've been working with, um, when we were writing this thing and Leo was writing a lot of this stuff, uh, as far as the, uh, putting it together and piecing it together. And, um, we're working on actually trying to get Leo to come in, um, on the call as well, uh, with me. So we'll see if we can get him in there as well. But, um, I've been, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of hyper-focused on, on, on the, the constitutional end of things 
and stuff that we can that I can prove right now. And um, and and I think that is where we're gonna maybe have some success in comparison to uh, past cases that constantly get booted out for standing or or just get flat out ignored. Uh, I don't see how. I don't know if you've had a chance to read through the complaint, but I don't see how someone can read through the complaint or the judge can read through the complaint and then tell me. I don't know what she, how she's going to counter. I don't know how they're going to counter what we're saying. And um, you know, we'll see. It'll it'll be interesting to see what they say. And um, and you know, we have. I think we have a strong case. I think we have a strong case based on um, clear 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 things that were broken statute wise rules and procedures that were broken, but also uh, from a maladministration standpoint, you know, which is um, in Virginia, Section 3, even the danger of maladministration, the people have the right to reform, also or abolish any government at their will. You know, so even the danger of maladministration, we have a lot of power as the people. Uh, and and this, is, this is not danger. This is, this is blatant maladministration that we're seeing here. And um, it, 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 we'll see what the judge says. You know, it, it's, it's – uh, I, I, I've been trying to play devil's advocate with it, and uh, I don't know how they're going to counter this. Wow. Leo D'Onofrio, he wrote about the grand jury, by the way. His, he can explain to you how independent it is. <clears throat> and uh, anyway, yeah, I, gosh, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to hear what other people have to say. Got, yeah, I've got other folks uh, online here. I've got uh, William. Uh, he's got a story here for us. And then I also have Paul Nally's on the line. I believe uh, Dave is on the line too. Dave, when you're ready, uh, just you know, raise uh, your hand. I'll get you on. It's very good. Nine one nine, nine one nine. But I do appreciate your patience, uh, William, for uh, calling the show. I believe he's another California uh, caller. Uh, so thank you very much, uh, William, for coming to the show. How are you doing tonight? Again, thank you for your patience. Yeah, it's been interesting listening. I uh, didn't catch the first twenty minutes because of other interruptions. But it's been interesting listening. I thought I should mention there was a senator from Louisiana named Senator Huey Long. Um, he stole elections. He did all kinds of corruption. And the end result, they weren't able to get him rid of him because he had arranged to steal the elections. long before. This was back in the 1930s. So this was like 90 years ago. And the way they finally got rid of him is he was messing with somebody's wife, and someone shot him. And he died a few days later, and that's how they got rid of crooked, dishonest Senator Huey Long. I'm not advocating anybody shoot anybody. I'm just showing you that's about how it happened. But I've been doing a local television show for 22 years here, and I started because of local corruption. I wanted to expose that the regular media, town newspaper, the county newspaper, the local television stations, they wouldn't touch it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't go near it. But I did, and I had to struggle to get my television show started here in public access because they didn't want it. Uh, they didn't want anybody telling the truth. But I think what Kelly said about the grand jury is spot on. The problem is we, we have a lot of people complaining, but when you ask them to go volunteer uh, in California, and right about now in December and January, they usually advertise uh, volunteers for the grand jury. Please call the number and sign up. If you're not a convicted felon, a judge will probably appoint you. And they always uh, have trouble finding people to get on the grand jury. And actually, most of the criminal prosecutions are done either by indictment or by grand jury uh, 
true bill of indictment. And it's the true bill of indictment that actually should be dependent upon, and that requires citizen participation. And it's, I've been harping on this uh, ever since I interviewed Kelly over a year ago and, and did a TV show about it. But uh, grand jury is just about forgotten. Uh, the average person thinks it's a bunch of lawyers and judges, and it's not. It's we the people, and it's there specifically for us to take back. In our local here in Santa Barbara County, uh, we had a guy named Huffington ran for Congress. And at that time when he ran, I forget it was 12, 13, 14 years ago, uh, Huffington hadn't even lived here barely long enough. And suddenly he moved in here with a gal named Mrs. Huffington, who was born in Greece. And he had made a lot of money in the oil business overseas, jobbing oil, suddenly shows up in Santa Barbara County, registers to vote, and spends the most money ever spent on a congressional race to win the primary. And he won. Then he won the November election. And then as soon as he was sworn into Congress, he immediately filed to run for U.S. Senator from California. Well, this was kind of astonishing because he sort of ran over all the local Republicans and just sort of said, you better get on my bandwagon because I'm the guy. I'm going to do a lot of things. It turned out he was gay. And when he didn't win the U.S. Senate, he just left, just disappeared. We haven't seen him politics or anything. Mrs. Huffington divorced him, and she started her own media thing. You may have heard of the Huffington Post or the Huff Post. She's doing that now. But during that election, I went to a place called the Boys and Girls Club, which was a precinct, to check to see if two young people were going to vote because they had not voted in the prior election. And I said, you really need to vote in this one. Get out and vote. There's people to vote against and people to vote for. So I went to check the list. And when I was pulling up to the Boys and Girls Club in Santa Maria, I noticed a car with Mexican license plate pull up right in front of me. And a woman went in. She looked at the register, which is posted on the door, so you could see if you're registered to vote in that precinct. And they also come out and check off every half hour or so the number of people that have voted in the last half hour. Well, this person got out of this car. She looked Mexican, and she left her little three little kids in the car. She went up, looked at the register right before me. She went in and voted. And I thought, wait a minute, if, if you're a registered voter here, by now, you should have had California license plates. We're like three, four counties north of the Mexican border, and we don't see a whole lot of Mexican license plates up here. So I followed her to see where she went home to, to see where she lived, so I could report her to the police, because I thought something was strange here. She didn't go home. She went over to the Santa Maria Fair Park, where there were two election precincts side by side with glass wall between them, and glass on each side, and the doors were about three feet apart. She looked at the register there, and she went in and voted. And I thought, oh, my God, nobody gets to vote twice in the same election. So I know something's wrong here. Then she came out, went back, checked on her kids, and I followed her. And then she walked back, went in and voted in the other precinct. She voted three times in that election where Huffington won the um, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Huffington won that election by a landslide because he spent an enormous amount of money. 
and I guess his plan was to win the U.S. Senate seat from California and then immediately run for president. And he had an he had an ad. He sent everybody a VHS tape. This was back in the days of VHS tapes. He sent every voter a, a, a VHS, and I still have it. I never threw it away. And it was about five minutes. And it must have been very expensive to send that to every voter. And it shows him and Mrs. Huffington walking, talking, and walking away into the sunset. And along with him is two little children. Well, it turned out those weren't his children at all. He was gay. I mean, his election was full of fraud. And I called the police after this woman voted the third time. I didn't wait to watch her go vote anywhere. She got away from me and she pulled out. And I went home, called the police, and said, we have nothing to do with the elections. You have to call the elections office in Santa Barbara. So I tried to call them. Nobody answered. So I wrote a letter. Nobody answered my letter. So I called the election official, who had just about 20 years ago uh, gone from being a Democrat to being a Republican elected guy. The Democrat didn't run because it was suspicion of his corruption. And uh, the Republican won. And we all thought, oh, good, we got a Republican election clerk. Well, he came up here just about a month or two ago, tell us in Santa Maria how wonderful it is. Everybody's going to get an absentee ballot. I didn't think that was wonderful at all. He kept trying to sell it. And someone was smart enough to ask him, well, isn't that going to cost more than just sending it to the people that are going on vacation and not going to be around? During the break, I went up and told him about this Mexican license plate woman who voted three times in Santa Maria. Because that has to be illegal. That has to be a felony. And it made me wonder how many other people voted or were paid to vote numerous times. Because all you have to do is go up and look at the register posted on the outside of the door. See who didn't vote, give that name, go in and vote. And half the people never vote. So you got a 50-50 chance you won't ever be discovered. Election fraud is old, but these machines by Diebold are downright the devil's uh, devil's trick. I mean, this is this is just horrible. And several counties and several other states and several states have banned those machines altogether. For me, what I think we have to go back to is recognize that not everybody should vote. In the very early days of the republic. Indentured servants could not vote. People who were free and, and, and not slaves and not indentured but didn't own land, they couldn't vote. Women couldn't vote. Blacks couldn't vote. A whole lot of people couldn't vote. And my point here is not that we ought to go back to that. But one of the things our election clerk gave us here a month ago was a copy of a $2 uh, voting fee. People had to, in this county had to pay $2 to vote. And he said to say, isn't that wonderful we don't have to pay now to vote? And I thought about it, and I looked up what that money went to. Well, that money went to support the schools. So would you want a cowboy or the Jesse James gang who came here to Santa Barbara for a while? Would you want them to go in and be able to vote just because they happen to be here on Election Day? And they're not going to stick around. They don't care about the local things. They're just transients passing through. And we've got a lot of people, and now you've got the crazy mayor of Washington, D.C., saying she wants to allow the illegal people that came here illegally this week, last month, month before, to vote in the Washington, D.C. elections. 
this is just insanity. <clears throat> I think we have to go back to considering who really should be voting. It should be people who have a stake in the community. They have kids in the school. I'm not saying you have to own land. You can still rent an apartment, but you have to have, you know, a stake in the community. <clears throat> We're not looking at that anymore. They just want to give everybody the right to vote. And I think it's a horrible mistake because you can't go to Mexico, rent a place for 50 years or 49 years, lease a home down there, and go vote in their elections unless you take out Mexican citizenship. <clears throat> it's the same in most countries. <clears throat> Something's very wrong here. The grand jury is a way to go about it, but you've got to, you've got to start developing a grand jury uh, society in every county. Anthony Fauci should be indicted in every county where somebody died from the poisonous COVID-19 vaccinations. And there never really was a pandemic, but that's a different issue. Um, I don't know what you can do there in Arizona, but I think you've got to get grand jury started in every county and start indicting Hobbs, uh, start indicting her for failing to follow the procedures in every county. And once that true bill of indictment is issued by the grand jury, if the DA won't enforce it, you have a right to uh, to hire a private attorney general, which I haven't seen anybody do except one up in Mendocino County, California, which they didn't even do the grand jury correctly. But it had to do with a, a professor who had been divorced and he wasn't being allowed to see his. And I went up there and interviewed him and went down to the county, <clears throat> interviewed a few of the people that were on his grand jury. They didn't do it right, but they went in to arrest the judge that was not enforcing his own order to tell the mother to let the father see his own teenage son, which was causing problems for a lot of people. Um and while they're walking down the hallway in the court, they're making a lot of noise. Let's get the judge. Let's let's pull him out of here and arrest him. And uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't Mendocino County. It was Yolo County. Um, anyway, the DA heard all this noise in this rather small courthouse, and he came out of his office and said, no, no, don't do this, don't do this. Let me go talk to the judge. Don't arrest him. Don't don't drag him out of his off the bench. He's hearing a case right now. <laughs> So the DA went in and interrupted, talked to the judge, said, okay, uh, I'm going to make a call, and uh, you're going to see your son. And, and so the grand jury, even though it was not done correctly, and they didn't issue a written true bill of indictment correctly, they didn't do a service, notice of service and all the things, they didn't do it right. But just that they tried, the DA stepped in, in that small county, it's almost to the Oregon border, and the man got what he should have got without having to get a grand jury together. And so hey, it hey, uh, does work if you could just get people to go. The last thing I want to say is if this guy, Jovan uh, Pulitzer, who I hear a rumor, he, he is still, he uh, did an extreme forensic examination of the 2020 election in Maricopa County. I'd like to interview him for my TV show, which I've been doing for 22 years now, going to my 23rd year. I so if someone can Javon, connect me to his Javon. phone number, I'd like to see if he's still doing that and if he's going to do it again now that we've had the election stolen in Arizona a second time. 
So that's, that's what all I got about. to say. But the thing is, you got to get local people in the county interested and in going to be sit on a grand jury for four or five hours a week. And most people just won't give up that time. They'd rather watch some silly TV program. So that's all I got to say. But I hope your lawsuit uh, or your procedure you do Friday, I hope somebody videotapes it because I'd like to see what happened. That's all I, I got I to say. I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't think we're allowed to videotape it, but I'm, I'm talking with Javon right now. I'm messaging him. I, we talked quite a bit, and um, I hosted Javon's uh, release of his paper analysis report um, here in Scottsdale um, about four months ago, and everything was turned over to the AG, never did a dang thing with it. Um, we have tons of information, um, provable information, and um, when you have a corrupt AG, nothing's going to happen. I do agree with you that we need grand juries. The problem is the Bar Association is blocking the people's direct access to the grand juries, and we are actually um, working on um, – uh, getting around that here in Arizona, and we are also looking to dissolve the bar in Arizona uh, to get rid of it. So um, they won't be able to hold that control over the attorneys, at least in Arizona, um, and and try to dictate uh, policy, uh, amongst other things, within our legislature as well. Well, that's good to know. If you can give my number, 805-928-1100, Nine two eight one one zero zero area code eight zero five to uh, Jovan Pulitzer. I would really like to interview him face to face, not just through a video conference, but face to face. And I would, I would drive down to Arizona to do that. Um, I just think this is so important, and I, I think what someone else said earlier, the Democratic Party is out to destroy uh, America, and I think they're heavily infected with. People acting on behalf on be, on, behave, on the on the uh, pushing of the CCP of China. I don't think there's any doubt that Biden has taken a billion dollar bribe in a lithium percentage of the lithium mine in in Africa, and that's where he's going. He doesn't care what happens to him or his great grandchildren. You know, he sold out to communist China. They're trying to destroy this country. And they've taken over the Democratic Party to do it and stealing the elections like they did. And they got away with it. And they had enough corrupt judges in places. In fact, I find it hard to find a judge who's not corrupt. Um, One of the other things I've been documenting is people having their homes stolen with forged uh, documents that aren't the original security instrument. And almost no bank uh, has it because they... is available. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, well, let's go. No. Uh, before we bring you, bring you Paul, I want to give uh, Josh the opportunity if he wants to make any other um, uh, comments on that. Go ahead, Josh. Did you have any other response you want to, to, to add to that, Josh? Yeah, I, I think we need to continue with the fight to uh, take back our grand juries. You know, we have federal grand juries that are there. They're the people's grand juries. And we've allowed the uh, the Bar Association in the early 1900s kind of took it over, kind of stole it from us. And um, we need to uh, work on taking it back. You know, back to we have direct access uh, to the foreman of the grand juries. That's what we need. They should decide whether they're going to hear a case or not. 
not a bar association VA. Um, so we're working on that here in Arizona. And if we get any movement with that at all, it's something we can use everywhere. Um, you know, uh, you know, we, the grand juries have been successful since 1215, you know, and, um, they were, they were there to put in check, you know, corruption and, and, and um, corrupt officials. And it's no different today. And we need it more now than ever. So we're going to keep fighting for it. Hey, Josh, I'll send you a piece that I wrote about the right of petition going back to Magna Carta. I'll send it to yeah. Robert. Yeah. That'd be great. Can you guys hear me? This is Holly again. Yeah, go, uh, go ahead, Holly. Oh, yes. Uh, that fellow in Santa Barbara, he wants to reach out to Javon Hutton Pulitzer. Javon Hutton Pulitzer, as I understand it, has made his email uh, available to people, and he can actually reach out to him and put in the title something about him wanting TV. But um, maybe Josh can also, if he has contact with Javon. But Javon Hutton Pulitzer's email is Javon, J O V A N. Hutton, H-U-T-T-O-N, Pulitzer, P-U-L-I-T-Z-E-R, at gmail.com. And I would encourage the fellow, that dear uh, gentleman in Santa Barbara to reach out to Javon. And um, if anybody else has a better contact than the email, get him in contact with him. Thank you. And so let's go ahead and... um... Uh, bring in Mr. Nally. Thank you, uh, Holly. Uh, thank you very much uh, for coming to the t- uh, show, Paul. How are you? Well, pretty good considering age and habits, and ain't neither one of them getting any better. <laughs> uh, I would like to recommend to Josh, and, and I apologize if I tell him things he already knows, but as far as standing goes in either the state or federal uh, courts, uh, one of the first things that people usually get dismissed on uh, on the standing issue is they're not able to show uh, an, an injury, an injury in fact. And I would like to provide him and anyone else who may be interested in a Supreme Court decision from back in 1976. The cases styled as Elrod v. Burns. And on page uh, 373, the Supreme Court made this uh, announcement. The loss of First Amendment freedoms for even minimum periods of time unquestionably constitutes irreparable injury. So there you have a proclamation of the Supreme Court that your loss of intangible property interest is an actual injury. And I would recommend that that be cited as to your standing in any case you go into. Now the next thing I'd like to mention is that in this upcoming hearing, there are a couple of things that might be of interest. One of those would be to go get the judge's oath of office, his official oath of office, and draft an affidavit of acceptance, just like you were accepting a contract offer from John Doe. 
and draft that affidavit of acceptance and attach it to his oath of office, making his oath of office literally a contract between the two of you. Now, I don't know how smart the judge is, but the minute he realizes if he's got any sense at all and understands contract law, he's going to understand that his judicial immunity just flew out the window the minute that document was stamped and filed. Um, I want to introduce Paul. Paul is a former judge. And he studies the law furiously, and I don't know how many appellate cases you are, are you working on right now. So he's been very helpful to um, me and other groups that I've been helping. So he's a, a former judge. I just wanted to introduce that to, to Josh. Okay. Thank you. And then, of course, the next thing you can do, if I recall, I think the Arizona Grand Jury Statutes are in Title 20. I'm, I could be mistaken in that, but I think if you'll go look at those, you'll find that the oath of a grand juror in Arizona requires them to uh, consider things that are given to them by the judge in charge. That being the case, you could also file Friday morning just before you go into court a petition to the judge to inform the grand jury that you have allegations of malfeasance and criminal conduct that you wish to present to the grand jury, and you are hereby requesting that the judge charge the grand jury to that effect. Now, that will also require, possibly, uh, a considerable amount of Charmin to go with the paperwork. <laughs> hey, you know what I'm glad to hear? I'm glad to hear you talk about contract law because the Constitution, a lot of people don't understand that concept that it's a trust indenture. And we're the trust protectors. The people are the trust protectors. They're the trustees and servants to us. It and, is uh, a revocable trust instrument. Yes, exactly. Exactly, and that's a, that's a concept that's often lost, and uh, you're right. It, it, the Constitution is a contract with the people, and um, I, like I said, I think that gets lost quite a bit sometimes. People don't understand that. Everyone so sitting here tonight is a co-contracting partner. Every one of us, the day we turned 18 years of age, we walked up to a table, slid out a chair, and took a seat at the Board of Directors of two of the largest corporations in the world, the United States of America and the state of our residence. I, 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 will, I will yield before you get me on a tirade. <laughs> I, I, uh, I got the statutes of Arizona regarding the grand jury up on my screen. And under the definitions, it says, grand jury means a body of the required number of qualified persons who are duly convened and impaneled by the presiding judge of the Superior Court and who are sworn to inquire into public offenses that may be tried within the county, including corrupt or willful misconduct in office of public officials within the county. Could, and, you, please, uh, on, could you please find their oath and read it? 
I've been hunting for their oath. I can't find their oath. I know I've read but, it somewhere in the title. Oh, I hope so. But the definition's right there. Now, players in the court, that's the Arizona State Supreme Court. Players in the court, it explains the duties ah. of the grand jury, and it says to investigate willful misconduct in office by public officers. The statewide grand jury has all the authority of the county grand juries, except their power extends statewide. Um, Rebecca White Birch, she was the chief justice. She wrote that in uh, Players in the Court. It's still on the website, by the way. Now, it does say something about um, the judge and or the prosecutor can get things to the grand jury. So, yeah, what Mr. Nally has communicated is asking the judge to refer this to the grand jury is very valid. The willingness of the judge is another issue, but it is a valid Oh, 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 hold it right there before I lose this train of thought based on what you just said. If the judge refuses to charge the grand jury, do you have a remedy in law? Well, actually, yes, you do. The state of Arizona agreed when it joined the union to abide by the Constitution. That includes the 14th Amendment, Article 1. I'm sorry, the 14th Amendment, Section 1, Clause 2, which is the second sentence. No state shall enforce any law which abridges the privileges and immunities of a citizen of the United States. This is one time when having dual citizenship is going to come in handy because at that point, when the judge refuses, now you can move your case from Arizona court into federal district court under 28 U.S.C. uh, 1441 through 50, I think, somewhere in there there's a provision that allows you to move a case into federal court. And once you have federal jurisdiction, plus you have standing because of the deprivation of your intangible property interest being an irreparable injury, you're home free in federal court, and I'll yield. I've I've been – we've had David Jose, and I know a few people out here know who David is and stuff we've been working on, but we've – like I said, we prefer to work outside of the court system as much as possible. Um, we've utilized constitutional arbitration using um, affidavits, and uh, we've had success. We've won. We're six for six right now, uh, victories out of constitutional arbitration, and um, that's another option for people. Um, and th- another thing that we're working on and expanding on, um, teaching people and showing that option is available and uh, perfecting it. So just so you guys know are aware of it. Congratulations. And I'll yield. No. Well, I've, I've been wondering, what about, I, I've been trying to find the, the name of the judge, uh, Josh, who would not allow for extra time in Maricopa for people to vote because of what was going on off the machine. Uh, what is his name? <laughs> is there a way to I can't, the I can't guy think of it right off. Yeah, I can't think of it right offhand, but uh, uh, gosh, who was that? I, 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 it's a slip of my mind right now. Well, whoever that judge was is subject to a federal criminal prosecution under uh, 18 U.S.C. 241 and or 242. 
and 245, excuse me, and I'll yield. Yeah, I'm certainly that's I'm certainly I'll be interested to hear who that uh that guy was. Um on why yeah, I'm kind of glad he did it because that mistake he made was showing us like I said, a clear violation of equal protection, you know, um across the state, statewide. So it kinda it, it could potentially work out in our favor here, uh in the near future. Well, any judge who denies people the right to vote when they are there standing in line, even when that 7 o'clock hour comes, then that judge yep. has violated the 14th Amendment. He had no authority under the Constitution to enforce that law. Yeah, yeah you're, you're correct. And also amongst the, the various uh, state laws, depending on where you're at, the, I mean the state uh, constitutions, your, your Declaration of Rights will lay out a lot of this stuff as well. Absolutely. Now, does this name ring a bell? Um, Judge Timothy Ryan? Timothy Ryan. No, not offhand. Not offhand. Okay. Okay, I'd just like to find out, but yeah, that'd be something be great. Something could be uh, <laughs> be done about that too. Because I mean, that was that was outrageous when I heard, when I heard that. And then that I was just outraged when I heard that. Well, we also uh, I was hoping to have on tonight um, uh, Samuel Mangold Lynette. He uh, writes for the Federalist. Um, we had a conference call with him the other night on this very subject. I believe he's working on an, an article uh, with the events there over in in Arizona. Uh, I just got a text. Uh, it's unfortunate we'll be able to, to join us again because I think he's working on that very <laughs> that very own ar- uh, very article. Uh, so hopefully we'll have him uh, on next time. He can he can chime in as well. Um, so anyway, so we were hoping to have. Uh, Samuel on, but you know, per, perhaps the next time. So, when you think that, yeah. So you had the court uh, hearing on Friday. Uh, yeah. Do you think you're going to hear something immediately, or do you think it's going to take time? And if so, how much time do you think you're going? It's going to be things of that nature. Uh, you know, I think that um, I think we're going to hear something. I think we're going to hear something that is. Um, Fairly quickly because of the time frame we're dealing with, you know what I mean. And uh, uh, we we have uh, the state certification will be on Monday, so you know we're looking we're looking if anything at worst case scenario to get a stay on it uh, to uh, to uh, allow more things to be brought forth possibly. Uh, I, I don't know what else you would need to bring forth with everything that we're showing uh, to show that it was a uh, an invalid illegally ran election. So. Um, I'm hoping to get an answer, even potentially um, extended time, uh, additional time set up, even over the weekend if I have to, 
and uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm expecting some type of answer Friday. She might, we might come on and she just dismiss it right off the bat and tell us to leave. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't know if she would waste a time like that because she could have just dismissed this immediately and not even heard the case. You know, so the fact that she's willing to hear the case is a positive thing. Like I said, anybody who's read through the complaint, I, I think it's a it's a it's a strong argument, and I think uh, it's very difficult for anyone to read that and to um, and to uh, say otherwise. You know, so uh, I've, I've been encouraging people to play devil's advocate with it, and um, and so we I can fine tune even my arguments and rebuttals to it uh, for Friday. But I, I'm expecting I'm expecting an answer, um, you know, Friday morning. Are you going going for injunctive relief against just Maricopa County or the entire state? It's injunctive relief on the the, uh, certification of Arizona. Okay. Is he a county judge or a state judge? It's a Superior Court judge. Superior Court of Maricopa County? Yeah. Well, he can only rule on Maricopa County, then. He can't rule the rest of the state. But if if the it's my understanding if Maricopa is stopped from certification, then uh, Katie Hobbs cannot certified. certify the rest of the state. Yeah, well, I know, but Maricopa's already certified. So we have. Yeah, I know that. I know that. But not certified. All right. But if see the judge can only do what he can do in his jurisdiction. Um, I don't know if he can rule for the state. That well, would be. Uh, well, it's a state. This is a state judge. This this judge is a, it's a it's a it's a state court that we're going into. They they, okay. they, they we have the uh, yeah she has the ability to um, to um, you know um, oblige to our request of of either an annulment or you know we offered even a stay on it as well. Um, but you know I, I think it's very clear what has happened, and I think it's very clear that this election was um, null and void on its face. And I, I'll be very interested to hear anyone uh, debate it, debate what we've uh, we put into this thing. Um, I, I think, like I said, I think it's a very strong argument. We put forth a different argument than what they normally hear, uh, which is what we wanted to do. And uh, I, I, like I said, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with what we came up with, but it, you know, my confidence only goes so far with our with our corrupt uh, court system. Hey Josh, I, I don't know if uh, if you've dug into this. I'm I'm being told in in the election law for Arizona that there is no provision that would allow print on demand ballots to be used in our election. That it, it mandates that 110 percent of ballots for the registered voters are supposed to be pre-printed in sealed packages delivered to the precincts prior to the election start but that there's zero provision that would allow a print-on-demand printer to be at those voting centers. I'm, You know what? I'm honestly not sure on that. Um, I do know uh, my good friend Daniel Wood and his group of guys um, have clearly shown with proof, and they have the evidence, that the machines that were used in this election were not certified properly. They were not certified by an accredited company um, and against state statute. Uh, so 16442 section B 
uh, will say that the machines must be certified with an accredited company, and they were not. They were certified, but not by an accredited company. So that that in and of itself is another uh, statute that was broken. And and technically, you know, any any vote that went through that machine is an illegal vote. You know, if you want to look at it like that. And uh, again, it's just it's just another another piece of 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 this election that was just flat out broken and not followed. And uh, and like I said, when form is not followed, it's a nullity. And uh, we you know hopefully we get a judge that understands you know the the, the scope of what's happening. And I'm sure she does. Um, and, and understands that things need to be corrected. Well, well, Josh, I got some really good news for you. Go ahead, John, but I got some really good news for Josh after you're done, John. Go ahead, John. Yeah, you may just dig into that uh, because if if those that have, have read and shared that with me are correct and that they're, they're, the provision is not there to allow anything except for pre-printed ballots sealed to, and delivered to the precinct in advance, then the machines themselves are illegal. And therefore, er- everything that was a problem in the election would be a clear violation of the, of the law from the fact that the printers printed light, the, you know, the, the tabulators couldn't read those. The, the, it starts with the printer should have never been there in the first place violated the law. Well, yeah, you're right. Here's, here's but dig good, into that yeah. a little bit. Yeah, well, here's some good news because on the phone here is Paul, and he filed a case and helped several people in Georgia. And Georgia law says you can't be adding things like a QR code to the ballots. And, right. uh, so, and so Paul here could help you with that argument that the pre, only pre-printed ballots are legal. Um, ballot, uh, print-on-demand ballots. If they are illegal, then you have you almost got them by the throat there. Uh, Paul, why don't you tell them what, what's going on there in Georgia? Well, if I it, I don't know the case law in Arizona, but in Georgia we have a case, a precedent case from the Supreme Court, which basically said that any election in derivation of the statutes is void so assuming that there's a similar state a similar precedent case in arizona what the sad situation is this come the end of this election you're going to start next year with not one legally elected office holder anywhere in the state you've been if you've been using those printers for two years you have probably had elections which means that if you have someone in the office on January 1, 2023, who was in office two years ago, he is not legally elected. He is an officer holding over. So he's not a legal, ju- a legal judge, a legal sheriff, a legal county commissioner. If the individual who is holding the office on January 1, 2023, <laughs> was newly elected under an illegal system, then he has to be taken out of office and the predecessor put in as an officer holding over. And in both cases, 
you've got to go through the whole election process all over again. Hopefully this time legally. That's the situation we're looking at here in Georgia. We've been casting ballots, illegal ballots, for, for uh, well, ever since uh, August the 12th of 2019. So we don't have yeah. any legally elected office holders, not not uh, legislators. Our governor's not going to be legally elected. He'll be an officer holding over. So it, it comes down to um, what people are going to step up and enforce it. Um, that's but what, what Georgia. What Georgia State Supreme Court said is it's true. It's 100% true. And it's, it's just like the maximum law that I always use when the form is not observed and it's inferred that the act is annulled. Um, you know, and, 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 and it's, it, it is a strong precedent to use, um, you know, because it's, it's, it's very relevant and it's, it's, uh, it's recent, right? And, um, you know, but, again, we have, we have an issue where we have a lot of weak people um, in office uh, that, that will not – follow the law that will not charge people with, with crimes that are not going to correct anything. And, um, and, and again, it's up to the people and that's, you know, like we, we've been talking about grand juries and, and, and bringing power back to the people and direct access to the grand juries can be, can, can, can fix all that really, you know, in a way, but, By the uh, way. but you're right. These, these people are not, they're, they're, in, they're in law, they're in office unlawfully. By the way, when you start thinking about, maybe going into federal court, keep this thought in mind. Every judge who is clothed with the power of a magistrate in Arizona is simultaneously clothed by act of Congress with jurisdiction to inquire into and issue arrest warrants under federal statutes by the United States Congress. And you can read that in 18 U.S.C., uh, 30, 40, 30, 41. Yeah, you're right. Even here in Arizona with our legislature, we showed the Senate. Um, they, Karen Fan got talked out of it by crooked attorney Corey Longhofer. But um, we showed them clearly um, utilizing uh, the, the basis manual legislative, uh, you know, basically showing what they can and can't do, right? That's what that is. That's what it's for. And we showed them how they can utilize legislative warrants to enforce subpoenas that they put out there and never got any information back. Kelly Townsend put out another subpoena. I asked her, how are you going to enforce it? She didn't know. So I showed her the procedure for legislative warrants and how to enforce the subpoena, and she's still yet to pull the trigger on it. So I kind of wonder, and I told her, I said, listen, if you're, not gonna, if you're not going to uh, enforce this, then this is all for show. Yep. And I don't know what you're trying to prove when I, when I know you know, because I told you, and we talked in person, and I sent it to you uh, via text, um, you know, showing her the law and the, the entire procedure of what to do, and you're still not acting on it. So what does that tell me about you, Kelly? And she didn't really know what to say. Well, it tells me <laughs> that she's violated her oath of office. Exactly right. You're exactly in Georgia, right. that's a five-year felony. Yep, it should be, but they're never arrested, right? Because, again, we have weak people that won't enforce anything. And until we get back control of the rule of law in this country, we, we, you know, we, we don't have a nation. We're, we're a banana republic right now. Yes, sir. And um, it's, um, it's crazy to me that, that we have Republicans 
that uh, will not hold people accountable. And uh, But, again, it, it comes back to the people, right? The people hold all political power, and uh, we need to start standing on it. We need to take back. I, I love the idea, and we've been pushing for the grand juries and taking back control of those grand juries. And uh, I think that's one way that we can really, you know, enforce the rule of law because no one likes corruption, no matter what side you're on of the aisle. You know, people hate corruption, and uh, and a lot of the people that I want to go after aren't even Democrats. A lot of them are Republicans. Absolutely, <laughs> corruption is corruption, and it needs corrected. And if we don't correct it, we're gonna we're gonna keep um, you know withering away into the next uh, Venezuela. Yep. So I found it, uh, I got a text from a listener, the judge that dismissed the case was. Um, here I got to look at the text. It was, um, this is from the Arizona Republic. Tim Ryan rejected yep. arguments that voters were denied their right to cast ballots because of glitches with equipment at 30% of voting centers. Quote, the court doesn't have any evidence that any voter was precluded from their right to vote, Ryan said during the hearing. So, A, things weren't presented with evidence, or B, Ryan just completely denied the evidence. Ryan denied the evidence. He, he's, he's, he's a crooked, corrupt judge like a lot of them are, unfortunately. Um, it, it's, it's crazy to me that we don't have anyone with integrity anymore. It, it's mind-blowing. Well, you know, maybe it's time we just got back to the judgment of Cambyses. Cambyses? What? C-A-M-B-Y-S-E-S, a Persian king, grandson of Darius. He called a judge selling his uh, office, selling decisions. He had him filleted. His skin was tanned and upholstered the throne on which he previously sat. And then Cambyses made his son sit in his father's chair. Needless to say, justice in Persia for many years thereafter was a whole different story. Well, well no, we well, particularly I, take that route, but you know, the um, I will want to give kudos to uh, you know the people in Brazil. One of the things that I can say that the left does a heck of a lot more than what our side does is they protest the protest the hell out of everything. Um, yeah, and I think we, I think we should adopt some of the tactics of the left. Absolutely, um, Gandhi, Gandhi, and King have both shown us how to get it done. What we don't understand is, is putting boots on the ground needs to be directed at the courthouse these days, not just down the middle of the street, Main Street. Go march on that courthouse. Make your neighbors who are sitting there, sworn as grand jurors, understand. By God, we want you to do what your oath tells you to do. Tell the judges I and the district attorneys, y'all get the hell out of our way. That is our that is our court, not yours. I think the number one problem in this nation is the lack of knowledge that people have. The people well, don't know what the law is. You're right. The educational system you know. of this nation has done an yeah, absolutely it, it, marvelous, splendid job in educating this people to the maximum level of their acceptable ignorance. 
if you don't <laughs> understand the Constitution and know what it is, how are you going to defend it, right? And uh, and and if you can't uh, if you can't understand basic fundamentals of law, then how are you going to call out an official for breaking it? Absolutely. And if, and if you're going to call them out, how are you going to call them out? You know, like I said, we use affidavits to do it. You know. Yes. And 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 you know, we tell them we dare you to tell us we're wrong. You know, show me the constitutional authority for this or that. You know, we we put them on blast in a different way. And the word, the one thing that politicians, you guys know, the one thing that uh, these politicians hate the most is when a light is shown on them, right? When a light, when you got a light on them, and you're showing that they're breaking their oath, and you show them that they're breaking the law, and not just a few people know, but tens of thousands of people know that you're breaking the law and that what you're doing, uh, corrupt wise. That's what they don't want, and and that's where the power of numbers and knowledge of people. To understand and setting that, we sent up to five thousand affidavits before to certain things, and we had mandates removed. We had, you name it, um, nationwide, uh, different areas. Um, the, these people, like you said, they don't like when their dirty is exposed to the light. And uh, and I think I think the one thing we have to do is more people have to learn um, the rights of the people and how to stand on them and in in numbers. And when we stand the numbers, we we can be powerful when we use the law. Um, and, and shine a light on their corruption. I, I think that we, we've had success doing it on a, on, a, on a smaller scale because there's only X number of us that, that, are, that are together doing this. You know, we've set up to 5,000 uh, notices and affidavits uh, to certain, certain things that we've attacked. But uh, when we get to the point where we're sending 100,000 100, to four or 500,000, that's where you're going to get attention, and um, they can't deny what we're saying in, in, within these affidavits. Because if you protest, look what happens. I mean, if you protest to the point, um, I, I'm, I'm off. By the way, I'm off for protesting. I'm perfectly fine with that. I think that's a strategy, and I think it's what we should do. But we have to do it carefully, and because we don't want another J6. Because what what do they do to us? They lock us away, throw away the key, no due process. Because the Republicans in Congress and across the nation are cowards, and they don't fight for the people. Right. They lock us up, and they let them do it. There's no reason any of those people should be in prison without due process. For well, only, only the ones that actually <laughs> did uh, damage to property. Well, the now, ones that did damage, that, I, I, can't, I can't argue for them. But there are people that were locked away for quite a while for literally yes, walking through the Capitol. Yes, and that's they why were. they haven't released the 14,000 hours of videotape. And that's why Congress, we take back control, which we, you know we have the House. They're going to release that footage, and Matt Gates is really big on this, releasing that footage to show – that, and then I, I, I hope that they're sued to, in, into oblivion at that point. Yep. You know, that January 6th thing was the perfect communist ploy. Um, Kent State, I had a buddy who was actually there. He got locked into a building. But what the, what the socialists did, I don't care if you call them socialist, communist, or progressive, it's all Karl Marx's thinking. And rules for radicals, um, the ends justify the means. Um, I'm trying to remember who wrote rules for radicals, but basically what they did, yeah, Saul Alinsky, there you go, yeah. So basically at Kent State, and they repeated it on January 6th, at Kent State, it was a well orchestrated, a bunch of commies held up a rope, okay, 
and then there were some demonstrations going on, and, and they held up a, a rope and yeah, a bunch we, of innocent. Quick, Kelly, we got somebody has got some background noise going on, just to let you know. But go ahead, Kelly. All right. So, a bunch of communists, you know, they did a little protest, and they, they the two communists uh, grabbed the rope. All right. And innocent students are like, oh, what's this, you know? And they go up to the rope, and then more people join just natural curiosity, a bunch of college students. Well, then a bunch of communists in the crowd were ready. And on the count of three, they dropped the rope, and the communists pushed the whole crowd, and the National Guard opened fire, and people got killed. When you understand the communist techniques, that's what January 6th was. If I was at the Capitol on January 6th, and I was in the in front of the door, I would be grabbing people and pulling them and preventing them from getting in there. I would have tried to push back because this is your classic communist. So, anyway, change subject. Okay, so um, Josh, Paul, and I would be glad to have a three-way call about grand juries because we've come up with some other strategies. I've been working on this for over 10 years. I published my book in 2011, and I've done more research, and then Paul's got more case law too. But we'd be glad to... Uh, because the right to petition is extremely solid. And so you know, off air, a three-way call, three of us. And so, um, I mean, Paul's really helped a lot with a lot of things. We're advising state house senators in Oregon uh, in their p- petition to a federal grand jury, Senator Linthicum and Thatcher. This is over the COVID fraud. And so we have some techniques that we've had to exhaust some other things first. And now we have some other techniques. So, um, and once you get in the grand jury, well, then what do you do? So, we, we, I don't have time to go into this too much, but we're glad to help you any way we can. Yeah, I would, I would love to talk further with that because um, I think that's uh, I think that's key to uh, the people living free, and, um, and we need to uh, we, we need to pursue it. And um, and I know David and I have spoken quite a bit about it. We got, we got pulled away with all the crazy stuff that's been happening uh, from pursuing, pursuing it further, but uh, we definitely need to reconvene that. And I would love to uh, talk to you guys more about it later. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Robert, go ahead and give him my number. Yeah. I'll I'll certainly uh, convey uh, the information and contact information. We certainly would like to, you know, next time you uh, speak with Terry, of course, we'd love to have her on back uh, as well. Uh, and speaking of people back, uh, we do have our friend John on. Uh, he'd like to uh, chime in. So let's go ahead and uh, open things up for him. Thank you very much, John, for coming to the show. How are you? Oh, I'm hey, doing good. fine. Thank you so very much. Man, you guys have got me going. I just love listening to you. I do have a curious uh, question. I think it's more directed to Paul, but anybody that might be able to, you know, shed a little more light on this situation, I'd appreciate it. I, too, have been concerned about a lot of these things. And when you guys were talking about or briefly mentioning January the 6th and what went on there, and I was just curious, with all these people that are in office that take this oath and then they continue to break their oath, then don't the people that are in the gulag, so to speak, have a affirmative defense called contributory negligence and how how is it that they are not getting lawyers or attorneys or judges that accept this and give them an opportunity to correct it i mean i'm not sure i'm answering that quick or putting forth quickly but i hope you get the understanding of what i'm trying to get at john you got a pencil handy oh hold on 
Yes, sir. First off, when when you're talking to me, either have the, my conversation recorded or be ready to take copious notes. But, uh, yeah, Rob, recording now. Last, I think this show is being recorded. But last month, a case was docketed in the United States Supreme Court from four brothers in Utah. And the case is Brunson, B-R-U-N-S-O-N, V. Adams. If the court accepts their arguments, you can figure on about 380-something members of Congress being removed, uh, the president, the vice president, probably the attorney general, all because of violating their oath of office. Through a little bit further on something? Go ahead. Um, here's another thing that's got me for a long time. Because we are all co-owners of this United States of America, joint owners in unity, unity of title, unity of possession, unity of uh, interest and such. We're contracting partners. Right. In, Go ahead. In, in unity. From, anyway, I don't know all the details. I'm struggling with understanding this, but I appreciate all the feedback you guys can give me. But in, in the understanding of that, when a, pe- when a person brings forth an affidavit in this, the particular courts, fail to actually predicate the evidence and information to make sure that the affidavit is correct and has proper constitutional standing, then they're actually destroying the legal effect of your private property and denying you your co-joint ownership rights to exercise those benefits of ownership rights. Therefore, they're destroying the legal effect of your private property, committing extrinsic fraud, denying you your proper due process. Isn't that right? That's extrinsic fraud and, I mean, coercion. Well, you're basically, and I don't mean to be critical, but you're using too many words. To, well, to make a very simple statement that, that the Supreme Court of the United States made back in 1976 in the Elrod v. Burns case, and that simply was that the loss of First Amendment freedoms for even minimal periods of time unquestionably constitutes irreparable injury. That's the simplest way to put everything that you just said. Thank you, Jim. And keep in mind, guys, there's, 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 there's different ways of writing affidavits. A lot of the ones I've seen the GOP attorneys using are um, giving discretion, I should say, for these judges to, based on the jurisdiction that they put themselves in. Uh, we, we write our affidavits a lot of times. We, we set it up that we're, we're not taking you to court. We're, like I said, we use the arbitration method and have success with it. What I can do... Um, is um, I'll send you uh, one of the affidavits that we've used in the past. You guys can share it around and uh, take a look at it, and you'll see that it's a little bit different. And um, a lot of the GOP attorneys here uh, do not get the uh, affidavit notarized. And by not getting the affidavit notarized without a jurat, you're not 
put you're putting yourself in a in a in a different jurisdiction and the last well, time it's we not saw an it, affidavit. Well, it, it is an affidavit, yeah. It, no, they, it's they're, an they're affidavit. called affidavits, I should say. An affidavit contains a jurat. Correct. But see if you, the GOP if you make call them affidavits. Yeah, they're, they're calling them affidavits, and what happened was we warned them. We said if you don't use a notary, you don't, you don't have a jurat, they're going to get kicked out. The, the judge is going to kick it out. So back in the election, back in 2020, they, they took all these, quote, affidavits that were not notarized, took them into the court. The judge called them spam and kicked them out, just like we told them, yep. and we warned them. Carrie yep. Lake's attorneys right now are co- collecting affidavits, and I told Carrie, Carrie, if you don't get those damn things notarized, they're going to kick them out for spam. I even showed her the article that was written discussing what happened and how they got kicked out for spam, and I sent it to her. So she's aware of it. I know she talked to her attorneys about making sure at least the powerful affidavits that they have, the ones that are like really good ones, you know, that show clear, clear violations where people couldn't vote or whatever. Um, and it's, I go, make sure those are notarized properly because then it's court on paper, right? And, and, and what they're doing, these, these GOP attorneys, I feel, are throwing cases on purpose, to be honest with you. And, um, and, and I can say that with, with pretty good confidence based on what I've seen. So, um, but you're correct. They're not affidavits. That's what they're calling them, but they're not. And um, they need to be done properly. But I'll, I'll send you guys one so you can take a look at the ones that we've had success with um, and, and take a look at them. I think it'll be helpful um, and, and give us feedback as well. Now, keep in mind that that writing up a statement, calling it an affidavit, but leaving out the jurat is a deceptive uh, practice. And the reason I would call it that is because to the client who is unskilled in practice and procedure, it looks like to the client that the lawyer is doing a great job when, in fact, the lawyer already knows that the minute he lays that in front of the judge, the judge is going to throw it out. And the judge knows why the lawyer is putting the darn thing in the paperwork in the first place. You're exactly so there's right. a conspiracy they, they kinda, between they walk, the judge and the lawyers to fool yep. and deceive the clients. You're exactly right. They kind of walk into the courtroom and wink at one another. Yeah, uh, yeah, wink, wink. <laughs> In every piece of litigation, there are always two winners, and both of them are lawyers. That is true. I'm sorry to do this. I got to cut out. Um, I got to get some work done uh, with this case tonight, and I need to call Leo back. Sure. So I apologize for having to leave, but um, I got to I got to get this call. Like Leo's on the East Coast, and he's texting me right now, and it's already like past midnight there. <laughs> so, so we're coming oh, up yeah. midnight. So um, I, I want he wanted to talk to me real quick, but um, I appreciate you guys for this call and and um, you know. Uh, uh, I would love, like I said, I'll forward you the, the affidavit. You guys can share it, um, check it out, get feedback, and, and maybe something that you guys can use uh, uh, yourselves as well. Yeah, certainly appreciate it. Uh, definitely give us some updates, and you know, we appreciate all your time. Uh, definitely like to have you, you know, back on the show, and then, of course, these calls afterwards. And, you know, perhaps we could get, uh, you know, Carrie back on the show. Of course, we'd uh, like to, you know, speak with her again. As well, and uh, do you have any uh, few seconds for any closing comments before you go? Um, go ahead, and then we'll you know, we'll bid you uh, good night. Appreciate that you coming on. Uh, the only closing comment I have is everyone here to pray for us. 
<laughs> that something will go good for us on Friday. And uh, we're going to bring the best argument we possibly can. And, um, and we'll just pray that, it, that it's good enough, okay? Certainly will. Thank we'll you. We will pray. We'll the prayers, positive thoughts. Uh, good luck. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. I'm going to have to bug out myself. Y'all take care and have a great evening. Well, we do have um, – it's time for uh, for closing comments. We've got a little bit extra uh, time there, but uh, if you've got any closing comments before you want to have the bug out, uh, go ahead, uh, Paul. Not, not a thing to add. Thank you all, and I'm thank you for allowing me to be here. Good night. Thank you, Paul. Welcome. Good night. Thank you. Uh, certainly. Very very informative. A lot of uh, information on the show. I'm glad you uh, reminded folks, uh, John, that, yes, this uh, podcast is recorded. Um, so that if people want to access the information uh, later, uh, certainly uh, share the podcast. It would be appreciated. You can share it on Twitter uh, as well. You can also uh, share it through your email uh, groups uh, for people. Uh, for, you know, cause it's very, as I stated earlier, it's very important what's going on in there, Arizona, uh, because where it may be where, you know, the Republicans could have won, you know, the presidency without uh, Arizona, uh, I was running some numbers uh, a, a few weeks ago, and with uh, things going the way they are in, in, in Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan looks like it's going to be you know solidly blue again, um, and so you know maybe with you know Wisconsin it looks like that might you know stay blue. So the the blue wall is re-erecting it looks like, uh, and even though you know <clears throat> as we've seen in 2020. That you know you could still win. For the used to be you know, the conventional wisdom: you win Ohio, you win Florida, you win the presidency. Well, we see that didn't happen. I mean, regardless of whether there was fraud or not, which I, I do believe there was in 2020, uh, the fact of the matter is, is you know states such as Arizona, and I, I believe right now that at least at this point, Arizona may where you know what happens in Arizona may very well be you know, one of the important most important states, at least when it comes to elections right now, uh, literally for uh, our republic. Uh, because if things can't get straightened out in Arizona, then I don't think you'll see a, a, a Republican in the White House uh, for quite some time. Uh, whether that's, you know, with Trump now running or if DeSantis decides to run, um, I, I think it's not going to matter, uh, even with uh, those other states. Uh, you're going to need places like, you know, again, Arizona. So whatever happens there, uh, I can't overemphasize how important it really is. Yep, shining a light on Arizona can change the demographics of, of the election process across the entire nation. Yeah, I mean, if they get... Uh... Republican legislature plus Carrie Lake plus the Secretary of State Mark Fincham plus Abraham Hamadah as the Attorney General, they could really shake things up, expose this. The Democrats have too much to lose because if it's really exposed horrifyingly, um, they could be hurting as a party nationwide. Um, so I've heard well, other not only party, I've heard criminally as well. I've heard things from other Arizona people. This is quite a while ago, 2020, really. And uh, it was very concerning. I got excited, though, when I saw who was running. 
uh, looked them up, researched them, etc. First thing I noticed, the media said that Terry Lake is an election denier. Mark Fincham was an election denier. I'm like, I'm going to vote for them if I was in Arizona. And so <laughs> this election season, I've spent way too much time on Arizona because it is so pivotal. pivotal. And the potential is, is amazing. Um, that's why I sent a petition to statewide grand jury. Um, got there November 3rd, the Thursday before the election. I haven't heard anything back. Would have loved to have a subpoena, but, you know, you got to do what you can. Wayne Gretzky, the famous hockey player, once said, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. So, um, but, John, I wanted to ask if uh, you were interested in giving uh, your phone number to Robert to give to to Joshua. Yeah, you want to text it over to him and, and then, yeah, uh, yeah, and is, then yeah. have him connect us up? That'd be great. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that was one of my goals of tonight is to get you guys connected. And I'm sorry, I didn't realize yeah. what his approach was. Josh, Josh's approach is the law was violated, right, left, left and right. And how can you tell me it's an honest election when the law is being violated? And, of course, mm-hmm. the answer to that is, well, uh, we really can't. We're just guessing. Oh, really, as an engineer, if I started guessing, I'd end up in court. I'd lose my engineer mm-hmm. registration, you know? Yep. And contractors the same. Well, I'm just going to guess here at what, you know, come on, people. And, and or <laughs> you may be convicted of a criminal offense for manslaughter if your engineering failed. Kansas City Walker, yeah. I don't have time to explain it, but that was engineering well, negligence. Well, yeah, I'm glad to know the approach that, yeah, the approach they're taking, because, I mean, he is, I mean, he is right. I mean, they've been, in 2020, they tried to, you know, prove fraud. We know there's fraud. We've, we've yep. seen evidence of fraud. Yep. Um, but, you know, trying to prove it, especially with the courts being uh, the way that they are, uh, I you know I, I I have to agree with his, his approach because I mean we know there's fraud we talk about it we've shown it um, you know you showed numbers uh, tonight but you know I don't know how convincing that's going to be and when I mentioned earlier about you know doing what's going on in Brazil and protesting you know I'm not saying like January 6th of course I mean I think that you know, there's a lot of people who were uh, egged on possibly even by our very own government. I mean, look at when uh, Ted Cruz was asking the assistant director of the FBI, uh, she continually dodged the question. Uh, so, you know, it made you wonder, like, well, why can't you even answer these, simp- you know, answer these simple questions, you know, basically, if you guys had any, pl- basically, I'm summarizing, any plants on January 6th, basically, you know, egging on the, you know, what, what happened there. Um, so, but and I'm hoping you know once Republicans take the House, that is something that they investigate. And if I know it's federal, you know, getting into state uh, elections. But I hope uh, with what's going on there in Arizona can be uh, inve- investigated. But you know, more. I mean, I want to say more so than that. But I think they need to investigate. You know, and possibly look at the articles of impeachment for you know Ray. Uh, and also for Merrick Garland, I think that you know they need to investigate to see if their political, you know, organization of their organizations, uh, you know, something that could become an impeachable offense for uh, you know the the leadership there. 
Well, that's I've been wondering for years, <clears throat> ever since, even when I was working on my book about the grand jury, I was wondering, has the Justice Department been weaponized to protect political allies and prosecute political enemies? Well, I came across some book that somebody wrote, and they they said just that. Complaints right and left and left and right about the Department of Justice. Department of Justice came along in 1870. It's Johnny come lately. The Attorney General is in the Constitution, but the Justice Department was until 1870, and then the FBI came about in the early 1900s. And, you know, there were some glory days and some wonderfulness with the FBI, but something really sour has happened. Whitmer, those knuckleheads that tried to arrest um, or kidnap Governor Whitmer in Michigan, they found uh, the first judge, um, they couldn't get a conviction with the first judge. They went to a second judge. But the first judge allowed the defense attorneys to bring the evidence that the FBI agents were provoking these these knuckleheads to do this. So that created all sorts of problems. Well, the new judge would never allow the evidence that the FBI was infiltrating and fomenting this kind of stupid knucklehead behavior to capture to kidnap a governor. Um, so, and even though the FBI egged this on, these people need to think for themselves. You know, they should be convicted for trying to kidnap the governor. That's just plain stupid. Didn't your mother teach you to think for yourself? My mom sure did. Anyway, um, can but I yeah, ask you a question? The, uh, that yeah yeah um in relations to that with all these minnesota people trying to kidnap miss whitmer if the whole system is corrupt and this is spinning off of what robert was sharing with us too the system is so corrupt it's the same thing that happened to our founding freedom fathers and when they are fighters whenever the King George was trying to manipulate the 13 colonies. The system is so corrupt that they are not going to listen to any true rule of law, so you have to almost overthrow it. Well, let's look at that a little more. Legitimately, legally, but unfortunately, a lot of these judges, and like you were saying, the system's been bought and paid for, so to speak, and been overthrown by crooked, corrupt manipulators. So, Within reason, they have a justifiable defense that, hey, we're trying to reclaim our private property that they've been stolen. All right, but let's look at what the founding generation did. So we start with the Declaration of Independence, and we work backwards. What they said of King George, they listed all the offenses in the Declaration of Independence, suspended our legislature, terminated trial by jury, took our citizens overseas to be tried, Judges appointed to his will only, dependent upon a salary from the king, and they concluded by saying of the king, he has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. Such a tyrant is not fit to be the ruler of a free people, and therefore we dissolve political connection. Okay, that's in the Declaration, but you go back to the Declaration of Rights of 1774, and before that was the Declaration of Rights in 1765. They were already communicating to King George and the Parliament, and you had the Virginia Resolves and other people 
writing Parliament and the King, and it even says in the Declaration, now, nor have we been in want of communicating with their British brethren, we have petitioned them as well, and they have given us a deaf ear. So what's my one of the principles here is we have to, as the example shown by the founding generation, one of the principles and steps is you have to exhaust all legal remedies. You have to communicate in such a way that finally three strikes you're out. Declaration 1765, Declaration of Rights, sorry. Declaration of Rights 1774, and then the Declaration of Independence in 76. Now, when the South seceded, yes, there was a lot of communication, but not quite like how the 13 colonies did it. So these knuckleheads that take up guns and try to arrest a governor, or arrest, or I should say kidnap, they have not exhausted all their remedies. They just jumped the guns. Now, that's just plain stupid. And we have to peacefully resolve and try every method to resolve things peacefully. And what the only proper way to take up arms, if you want to go there, is under the authority of a state. For example, let's suppose I moved to Texas. I'm just picking a state here. It could be Alabama. And then Texas secedes, and then the Union invades. Well, then under the authority of the state, they would put me in, I don't know, the National Guard or what have, what have you. But to take up guns of your own authority is absolutely just plain stupid. Because you're going to get creamed. People are going to get creamed anyway. And the powers that be want, that's what they want. They want little civil wars all over the place. So they can grab our guns. So these people that are all of this. Oh, I'm sorry. So these people that are doing these backwoods GI Joe call themselves a militia, and they don't. Most of them don't even understand that either, because the militia was public, not private. I could spend an hour on this topic, but you can't just go kidnapping government officials. Because one, number one, you're going to get found out. Number two, you're going to get creamed. Number three, you're going to spend the rest of your life in jail. But these knuckleheads need to exhaust every peaceful remedy first. And if they're finally unhappy with whatever's going on in their state, these people from Michigan should have just moved to Texas or Arizona or Georgia, somewhere else. And the founders set it up this way. You don't like what's going on in your state, just move to another one. And so there's so many remedies when these knucklehead militia people, um, these knucklehead militia people pick up arms, they the whole bunch of remedies they have not exhausted first, and this is how the powers that be want uh, to take our guns is these knuckleheads are doing this junk. Can I jump so, back in? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just that's just a little mantra that that I want people to understand. You know, guns are not. Yes, they are the last resort, but we're not there yet. Don't. It's like don't well, even I, think about it until you're exhausting all remedies possible. I agree with you in that context. I just don't know enough about the people involved with that particular case and how much you know they went to document all the different opportunities. But the other aspect is the sad point that we've had so many generations that have indoctrinated 
generation after generation and denied them the knowledge of these different means to be able to, you know, exercise every potential way to do it peacefully, that they've committed misprision and extrinsic fraud and withheld the information from the people to know. You can't ask, I mean, you can't ask, well, let me see, how do I word that? Anyway, if if the people that are in the know are depriving to allow me to have the access to that knowledge and to be, have a mutual agreement, then they're using their intellect for those ideas about how to properly, you know, petition for your redress or whatever. And then I'm being left out in the cold, have to figure it out on myself. That's a lack of knowledge on my part and ignorance on my part. But if nobody's helping me understand those processes, but every time I cry, they continue to just ignore my pleas and run roughshod over me, I have no other choice but to defend myself and claim my my self-governing property by violent means. Because all the things you're talking about are intellectual people projecting their intellectual thought on the rest of us without getting our mutual scent that we're willing to work that way. Well, there's offensive actions and then there's defensive actions. Somebody comes into your house in the middle of the night, yeah, you can shoot them dead, even in California. You don't know what their intent is, but breaking and entering, at least where I live, the law enforcement will protect me. That's defensive. Offensive is when you go out your door, get in your car, and try to arrest the governor. You know, there's a difference there. And sometimes it just takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, organizing, getting people together, writing letters, doing protests, whatever. That is something that has to be exhausted before people just start shooting people. You would hope. I'm kind of, well, I'm being redundant here, but see, I what I want to see happen is enough of us peacefully can resolve our issues to stop the stupid people from doing their stupid. <laughs> can we use the word ignorant? They may not all be stupid. Some of them just may be ignorant. Well, let's look at the definition of stupid. It's uh, Proverbs 12.1. He who loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who uh, refuses correction is stupid. <laughs> That's where it came from. Um, so all the people in positions of authority and official power that continue to just give a deaf ear and you know turn a blind eye to your pleas of help and to stop running roughshod over you, they're ignorant. They're stupid. Because they know you back a person in the corner that doesn't have the knowledge to make those decisions because you keep pushing them and pushing them. They don't have the knowledge to fight like you're expecting them to fight, nor should they, because they have the right to decide for themselves if they want to work that way. And if they don't, and you don't want to do what you got to beat the heck out of them then. I'm just frustrated in the sense that everybody says they have this plan and they expect everybody else to live up to it, but they don't care about getting mutual scent that we're all going to unite and be obligating ourselves to work in these particular protocols and systems and those operations of procedure. 
They just sort of assume that's the way you're supposed to do it, and everybody's supposed to understand it and know that's where to look for it. That's not true. Otherwise, we wouldn't have so many darn lawyers lying to each other and saying they truly know this and know that, and then they contradict each other. And like the Bar Association, that one gentleman that was speaking earlier trying to get the Bar Association, I guess, debarred from his, their state or their county because they're doing corruption. It's it's sad. And thank you for listening, and I appreciate your feedback, Kelly. I'm just trying to um, attack this dog from another perspective because I think a lot of intellectual people, which I consider you a very intellectual and, and smart and sharp cat, and I appreciate what you're bringing to it, but I think a lot of people that have that kind of wisdom and knowledge neglect the fact that the people that don't have that wisdom and knowledge aren't always afforded the opportunity to get it either. And I'm, that's not everybody, but everybody counts. Right. Thank you. Well, what's what's really it's a honoring at the same time it's a frustrating situation. What's honoring is your average American family, they got their priorities straight. They're trying to take care of their kids, work their job, maybe have a barbecue with friends on a weekend, and then they'll vote. If they're you know they're really faithful in in raising their young. They don't really have too much time for politics. That's a very honoring thing. However, it's it's frustrating because we need family men, family women to get involved more than, than they are. I mean, at least maybe start with city council or find some type of uh, service district they can, you know, it's, it's minimal, but at least get in part of the process. It's my dad was uh, let me let me tell you, school let me board. Tell you this though, Kelly, I'm gonna chime in a little bit. I tell you what, you'd be surprised how corrupt even at those small levels are. I remember how when I was running for uh uh the central committee, uh the county central committee and the in the, the dark money that was used to support the uh you know the, the the establishment of the incumbent candidate for that office was, was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Um, and then some of the lobbying they didn't they didn't call me by name, but some of the lies that they put on their mailers uh, about me was was astounding. Uh, I mean, I've never run for office before; it's my first time. And they try and they basically call try to call me an opportunist politician. I'm like, how could it be a you know, an opportunist politician when I've never run for politics before, you know, so, and it's, and it, it was an unpaid position. I mean, and this is the Republican party. Uh, you know, I was just, I was just amazed, you know, how much, uh, and I, you know, how much was brought to bear uh, money wise, I should say, you know, with mailings. I mean, I did everything very grassroots. Um, and of course they just put out mass mailers. I only lost the, the election by two votes. Um, and that was from uh, early voting. I actually won on the day of voting by one vote, but I got beat by three votes on early voting. But, wow. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, I remember of, that. Yeah, but the, just the amount, you know, so you get, you know, your grassroots people come in, but, you know, the the establishment are so entrenched uh, that, boy, they really stick together, and it's it, it's really hard to unseat these folks. <laughs> You know, the the Freedom Caucus is growing in Congress. Oh, whoa. Hey, guys, I just realized what time it is. Um, and there's only a few minutes left and uh, before I have to close things out. 
So I'd like to give you each uh, a minute to uh, to, to close things out. So first we'll go to uh, you, John. Again, just a maybe you know a minute, and then not even that really thirty seconds. You, John, and then um, the other John, uh, the original John who called, uh, Jonathan. I'll call you Jonathan, uh, and then yourself, Kelly. And then I'll have to close things out. We literally got about six minutes left, so each each person got about. 30 to 45 seconds. Go. Yes, thank you, everybody. I appreciate you, Rob and Kelly and John and Paul and all. I look forward to the next show. Back to you. Thank you very much, hey, uh, uh, John. Now, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I just encourage people to get involved, uh, be outspoken, stand up for truth and righteousness, shine a light in the community, uh, and expose the darkness. Hey, Jonathan, uh, looking forward to having you back on the show. Kelly? I've been an activist for over 30 years and election integrity for over 10. I saw what was coming way back in 2011, really, with these election machines. Now, how I'm encouraged is seeing how many Americans are stepping up to the plate to take care of business. It is very very encouraging. I was in front of the supervisors in 2010, and they're like, oh, this guy, he's a nutcase. Well, now they're listening. But so many Americans are stepping up, and I am I am encouraged. And so I think there's hope for America. Is it too late? I can't answer that. But we, we miss 100% of the shots we never take. So with that, I'll say good night, and thanks, John, for coming on. You bet. Appreciate you inviting well, yeah, we'll, we're, I'm, I'm sure we're going to have subsequent shows on. We'll, uh, I'm sure we'll have uh, Josh on again, as we know how you know very busy he's, he's been. It's, it's glad to hear what approaches he has been taking and have an opportunity uh, to speak with him and speak with all of you all. I am I'm going to speak with him again. One, to give the connections we talked about tonight, as well as look at uh, getting Carrie back on uh, the show as well. Uh, but I will uh, – you know, and tonight I do every night. Uh, that's with the song of, uh, from Aubrey Ashburn. It's just a nice, peaceful song to uh, quiet the mind down um, after a good show. Uh, but, you know, looking forward to uh, to having other shows, other, other guests, and, of course, you know, other topics here as well. Uh, appreciate it. And then, once again, uh, take the link that you, you uh, got tonight, whether you got it from Kelly or here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, share it on your Twitter feed and your emails, things of that nature. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, people are waking up, but, you know, hearing what's, you know, actually going on, hopefully, you know, hearing that other people are doing something uh, will motivate people uh, as well to, you know, join in on the fight. And that's why I continue playing that, that song. I mean, I just, I think with what we've been doing here at, uh, you know, Bard's Logic for, frankly, the past decade and what you guys, uh, like yourself, Kelly and John, have been doing, uh, you know, with your, you know, with you know, election integrity, things of that nature, um, is we we all have to stick shoulder to shoulder, that says, if we're going to, you know, try to, you know, you know, beat past what I call, you know, this fascism we are experiencing in this country. But anyway, uh, we'll uh, end the song out with uh, tonight, and I hope you uh, have a good week, and we will talk next time. Good night. Good night. Good night.
书。